Hey, what's going on, everybody? Um, so, uh, anyone who's confused about why last week's episode is being posted up on this weekend, uh, today is the 29th of April of 2023, um, let me explain something. So, um, what happened was is that uh, we recorded this episode, and we were going to get re- ready to basically be posted up on the podcast feed, but then me and Patricia fell sick at the same time, and uh, by some crazy fluke, uh, me and her just uh, weren't well for like the beginning of the week and then we took time to recover uh, towards the end of the week and then we were both realized at the very end of the week that the episode hadn't been posted so uh we are posting this episode now and uh, i just want to apologize in advance for the lateness of this episode it should have been posted last week and uh, not this week so i guess for this uh, bank holiday weekend i think for us here in the uk i guess you're gonna get a double episode so um this is the episode uh dated the um i'm now forgetting what the date of the episode was <laughs> Uh, it was dated for the 23rd of April of 2023. Just so keep this in mind, this is not this week's episode. That is going to be coming up on Monday. So just keep your eyes peeled for that. So uh, thank you very much for your patience uh, for not um, and also for missing us I think, during this week. But I can say that this is the episode that you're going to listen to right now, which should have been last week's episode, but you're listening to it right now. Apologies, everybody. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Aaron and Patricia. My name is Patricia. Uh, my name is Aaron. <laughs> I apologize, and... everybody. My voice is completely gone after yelling at President North End to victory. Well, not victory, but to a draw, but it feels like a victory. <laughs> no, seriously, I sound okay. But, uh, yeah, um, really fun weekend, I have to say. Um, so, um, I'm just hoping right now, uh, President North End right now are only like uh, three points away from fifth pl- and sixth place in the playoff places. So, I mean, like, I mean, I'm, who knows what's going to happen with Sheffield next week, but uh, I don't know. I, I feel, I'm just real so buzzed about it right now. I feel so excited. So <laughs> I, I don't blame you for being excited. I mean, this is like, um, you know, when was the last time that they were this close for the playoffs? Um, Yeah, I mean, like, the, we, we've hit the top of the table, you know, a couple of times, but, uh, you know, we've never really, like, you know, uh, uh, fully challenged for this properly. So, like, uh, it's, uh, it does feel like a long time ago, to be honest with you. So, uh, okay. you know, I mean, the last yeah, time I think so. we were in a championship playoff, I think we were entering into the Premier League. I think David Moyes was in charge back in 2001, I think. So, like, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So, it's been a while. It's been uh, a while. To be fair, we, I mean, we had, a, we had a League One playoff final. I mean, like, uh, the first time we went to Wembley Stadium and the time we were pressed to North End. So, like, it's not like we haven't been to Wembley before, you know, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, this one's more exciting. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Agreed. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie passing $800 million locally, uh, globally and possibly making its way to a billion dollars. And it even t- overtook Minions Rise of Gru as the highest grossing animated movie domestically. We're going to tell you about the top 10 best Pixar movies according to IMDb. Uh, Atari is acquiring more than 100 PC and console titers, uh, titles from the 80s and 90s. Tiny Toons University trailer, trailer has finally been released. Uh, Bill Damashke is reportedly the new president of Warner Brothers Animation Group. The Writers Guild of America has passed a strike authorization. Netflix is going to be shipping its final DVD on September 29th. Strange Strange World and also Pixar's Lightyear were the biggest box office bombs of 2022. There will be a spin-off of Knuckles the Echidna that is going in production this year. James Carter Cover, the voice of Professor Oak, has sadly had to retire due to a cancer diagnosis. 
And before we go into our spoiler territory, we're going to be talking about a hacker who has to pay Nintendo a large amount of money for the rest of his life after being released from prison. And in our spoiler section, we will take a look at Moon Girl Devil Dinosaur Episode 7 in our spoiler discussion. You are listening to Aaron and Patricia on the 23rd of April of 2023. Okay, just a couple of tidbits. I do apologize, everybody. Uh, ever since I had my computer rebuilt, I'm still trying to sort the audio out on this thing. So, uh, yeah, sorry if Patricia sounds a bit quiet and a bit loud at places, but uh, I'm working on it, okay? So... <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and as for me, uh, you know, we just posted up uh, the new episode of Casual Chats about a week ago about Cartoon Network. Uh, we had a really good time discussing about it. I had the Cartoon Gamer, the Hero of Tomorrow, Jim Bevan, and uh, Exalted Speed. We gave our memories of Cartoon Network. It's both up on the um, the Spotify page and all the other podcast sites and on YouTube. Please go check it out. And tomorrow we will be having possibly Possibly our very last major Owl House podcast. We have a lot of cool guests on the show. We have uh, Jim Bevan. We have um, Morgan Terry. Uh, we have the Third Bill. We have two new guests. I am Zamber and We Last Reacts and some people named Aaron and Patricia, but you don't care about them. You care yeah. about the reactors. But anyway, but yeah, that's going to be coming out tomorrow on the. Um, the Spotify and other podcast feeds, and then it'll be going up this Wednesday on YouTube. That'll be episode 199. And then the next week will be episode 200, which will be basically a look back onto, um, you know, old school lane from its very beginning to where it is now with the best episodes of casual chat and the best guests on the show, according to you guys and according to myself. So stay tuned. Cool. Okay. Our top story. Yeah, so our top story is that now it is official. The Super Mario Brothers movie has surpassed the Minions Rise of Gru, making it the highest grossing Illumination movie ever to surpass at the domestic box at $800 million. And they're pushing it to a billion. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I, I'm pretty confident right now it will hit a billion. But I think the next question is, where's the ceiling uh, for the Super Mario Brothers movie right now? I mean, like, mm. uh, like you know, Avatar right now is the highest grossing movie of all time, pretty much. Yes, yes, it is. How, how much is that currently at, at the minute? I uh, mean, as far as I know, that's like over, like, what, over a billion dollars at this point. And I think that, um, you know, it, it's not even like in the top. 10 at this point because you still have the uh, you have uh let's see avengers endgame you have titanic uh avatar way of water and um you have several other movies so it's not there yet in terms of like how much it's made i mean you know even avatar the way of water has made over two billion dollars and yeah the well, i'll tell you what i think a fairer question would be um why don't we have a look at like the bottom 10 maybe and see if it could basically hit those dizzy heights Maybe so. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I guess that, that that does make a lot of sense because you know, I guess you know, going in from the 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 bottom to the top. So let's see where it would be at this point in okay. time. So so let's yeah. go from let's go. So right now I've got the top fifty list up according to according to Wikipedia. So uh, let's go down forty and go down to fifty and see. Where All right, then at. let's okay. do that. Number forty right now at one it's a one bill over in the one billion dollar club i mean like they're one billion like you know 500 million something like that so like i can't really tell the numbers but uh number 40 right now is aladdin and that's the live action remake right yeah now. the live action remake yes yeah. so could it go bigger than yeah. that do you think hmm uh, 
Oh man, that's going to be tough. You have a a classic Disney movie from the '90s versus an iconic video game franchise. Um, I mean, I, it, it also, it's I think kind it of interesting. It could possibly, I would say, that is, if uh, if it decides to stay a little bit longer in the theaters, and also if you know streaming and maybe DVD and V um, and uh, Blu-ray sales will be able to um, you know help push the well. That doesn't count the, the box, of That doesn't count for towards box office though. Like box office yeah. is theater, like you know, DVD, like Blu-ray sales, are like a separate thing entirely. But uh, I mean, okay, yeah, but I, I think also another thing that we'll we'll put into account is how long that the movie will be staying in the theaters. Yeah, okay. Um, the next number forty-one is Pirates of the Caribbean uh, on Stranger Tides. Okay, so on Stranger Tides is the fourth film of the Pirates of the Caribbean film franchise, and. Um, that was one that a lot of people felt was kind of like drifting away from what made the original Pirates of the Caribbean series so great. Um, I don't recall a lot of people really liking it when it first came out, but it did make a lot of money despite all of that. Yeah. So, uh, um, also the other ones in this list, uh, Despicable Me 3. I mean, it's already bought, beat Minions Rise of Gru. So, I mean, the third um, Despicable yes. Me for me, I mean, like, uh. Yeah, I mean, Despicable Me 3 was pretty high because, as you guys know, that um, it was, you know, claimed to be the last of a trilogy. And so I take it a lot of people really wanted to go see it. But <laughs> then Minions they came know. out. <laughs> yep, then Minions came out and made over a billion dollars. And you already know the story. Yeah. Jurassic Park's in this list, the 1993 movie. That was the one that broke a billion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure that it was probably uh, you know adjusted to inflation as well. Oh yeah. Um, Finding Dory's also in this list. Yeah, Finding Dory's on this list. I mean, we already discussed about this in Pix Mix about the the huge impact that Finding Nemo left in terms of like being a you know major phenomenon, being the highest um, in terms of DVD sales of all time, and every low budget animation company decided to make their own rip off of it and a lot of people were really excited for Finding Dory especially when Ella DeGeneres tried to push saying I want to see a Finding Nemo 2 so when they finally got it they saw it oh yeah and uh, also in this list is uh, number 45 is Star Wars Episode 1 The Phantom Menace yeah, so it's actually funny because, as you guys know, that at that at that point in time in the 90s, Star Wars was already a major phenomenon. I mean, you had, like, all the toys and you had um, you had various um, action figures. There was a lot of books. There was a lot of video games. And, you know, the hype for Episode 1 where George Lucas, be, you, know, you know, basically took the director's seat in doing this. I mean, people were really excited for this. And then it turned out to be a disaster for a lot of fans. But, you know, neither here... It's neither here to say that. Yeah. Uh, also in this list is number forty-six is Alice in Wonderland. That's the ja that's the Johnny Depp version. Yeah. The uh, yeah. That's the, uh, the break dancing uh, the break dancing uh, Mad Hatter version. Yeah, it's the breakdancing Mad Hatter, the um, the really big-headed uh, Queen of Hearts, and you know the uh, basically like taking Alice into a more darker direction because it's Tim Burton, because of course it is. So yeah, I mean it's definitely not one of the best of the live-action remakes that Disney has ever done, but still, I mean it could be worse. Yeah, uh, number forty-seven is Zootopia. Yeah, so Zootopia was. 
you know, we talked about Zootopia many times before. Literally, we talked about it last week on Aaron and Patricia about like it, you know, has great characters. The music's great. The world building was fantastic. I like the mystery. Uh, the social commentary on class was really good. So, yeah, I mean, it, it really just blew people away about how they were able to have a mature story to Disney film like that. Yeah. Uh, number 48 in this list is The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. Yeah, so this is like 10 years after the Lord of the Rings trilogy and Peter Jackson was like, let's see if we can do the prequel. And, you know, as we see with The Hobbit, they made it into three movies and you, they stretched it all out. And uh, yeah, the first one is the one that people actually do seem to really enjoy, even though it's a bit of a slow burn. Yeah. Uh, number 49 in this list is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, so this was like around in Potter Mania 2001. The books were already out. People were really excited about seeing a movie version of it. And so it became the long line of eight movies spanning over a decade. And um, yeah, the first one, if you look back on it, is definitely a little bit more lighter hearted and quaint compared to like the darker stuff. But yeah, it's still a you know great series of movies, especially if you're a fan of the books. Yeah. And number 15 in this list is The Dark Knight. Yeah, so in in The Dark Knight, I mean, that was the movie that a lot of people felt that it was probably the closest thing that matched up to Tim Burton's Batman with its dark mood and the, the portrayal of the characters. I mean, people loved Heath Ledger's Joker and the cinematography. So, yeah, it's still one of the more beloved uh, comic book movies. Yeah, so um, that is potentially the 10 that, uh, or it could be one of the, you know, uh, one of those, well, Dark Knight could potentially be pushed off that list effectively by the mario movie so uh do you think it sits there amongst that 10 or do you think it will uh, do you think it'll fall under do you think it might go over I don't, mm, I don't know i mean right now it's at 800 million and if it's gonna push into the billion at this point in time then yeah it's gonna have to really do this quickly because i mean how the mario movie's been in the theaters for like several weeks now right and usually um movies in theaters last for maybe about like six or seven weeks so or the, the one two. thing i'm noticing that theaters are doing is that they are doing multiple like you know screenings like during the day like they are starting off at like you know 10 in the morning or like even nine in the morning even and you know carrying mm -hmm. this on until like you know nine at night so like this thing's playing all the time so like you know there's plenty yes. of places for people to buy tickets i think they were highly anticipating that this was going to be like a really busy movie and it has been i mean look at the, look at the numbers right now yeah so. it is very true and also it just you know about a week ago it was released in japan and you know how the asian market is when it comes to the movies you know they they pull in way more much money than say uh, like um i'm very those, intrigued to see what the japanese box office are going to be for this movie like you know it's yeah, Nintendo. I'm really curious this, about this, this is their home turf you know exactly yeah, like, uh, you know, but mind you, then there's China still left to go, I think. I mean, unless it's yeah, already then, released then in China. Yeah, exactly. Then there's China, exactly. So, and you know how China is able to become major into the film demographic. I mean, they're one of the reasons why Avatar, Avatar 2 and Endgame are, like, one of the highest grossing movies of all time. It's not only that. Do you remember when the Nintendo IQ, like, the exclusive, like, Nintendo console was released in China? And it was like it was a massive success. Do you yes. that? Like, you know, yeah, then mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure there's massive amounts of Nintendo fans in China. I probably imagine. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, I think this is, yeah, this, uh, maybe we're probably talking too small about this, baby. Maybe, maybe there might be even more to come. Maybe. Mm. 
Yeah, so I'm just reading off a quick excerpt from The Hollywood Reporter saying, Illumination and Universal's The Super Mario Brothers movie remains a monster at the multiplex as it co- crosses the $400 million mark domestically and $866.1 million globally. It'll easily win the weekend race in North America with a projected haul of $58 million for a domestic cum of $434.1 million through Sunday. Overseas, it'll earn another $65 million for a foreign total of four. $432 million. And if it keeps this up, it'll be the first movie of 2023 to join the $1 billion club. And uh, other things that it's done is that um, at $58 million, it will supplant Jurassic World to rank as Universal's biggest third weekend in history, the seventh biggest third weekend among any film in the domestic box office after surpassing Spider-Man No Way Home with $56 million, and the biggest for an animated title, No Justed for Inflation. It's also the highest grossing animated film in Universal history after the domestic box office of um, the Minions Rise of and the third highest of any Universal movie behind Jurassic World and E.T. the Extraterrestrial. It's just a wow. It's like it's 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 astounding, isn't it? Yes. Like, uh, you know what? Uh, and also when when all the uh, all voice actors are going around saying like you know oh, expect more of these, believe them. You know, like uh, look look at what this is doing right now. Uh, effectively, yes. like it's just this. Uh, this is probably, and also I think it's it's projected to be like the most successful video game franchise. Sorry, you know, vid- video game movie franchise of all time at this point. It is, isn't it? I mean, like, it, even more so than Sonic. Wow, because how much was Sonic at the end of the day? Wasn't it like uh, it, it was? Um, it wasn't a billion, but uh, I mean, it was. No, uh, it, it wasn't a it wasn't a billion per se, but I would say like around maybe two to four hundred million dollars. Yeah, like uh, I'm just having a look at this now. So the, yeah, go for it. Uh, it says right here three hundred and six million dollars. Okay, so yeah, that's three hundred and six million dollars for the first Sonic movie. Yes. So it's gonna and it's I'm gonna sure triple th- that effectively. You know. Uh, well. Yeah, it, it is. And also, um, you know, if you want to look into Sonic 2's money, it was uh, four hundred and five million dollars. And that's doubled uh, of that mm-hmm. as well. Yes. Wow. So much for saying. So especially... I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I said this last week, but you know, so much for say say you can do what Nintendo don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's in the rearview mirror. I, I guess you know, for a lot of people who are wondering, like, oh man, you know, Sonic is uh, going to be like in deep competition. Mario, better watch out. But no, Mar, you know, you know how the 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 mentality of Nintendo is. You know, a delayed game is um, eventually good, and a rush game is forever bad. And Miyamoto waited and waited for the right time, and he did, and it's paying off. <laughs> oh my, like, Puma Luigi! In strides. <laughs> yeah, it's it's paying off in strides. Oh, good grief! Like it's just this. Uh, I mean, it makes you wonder. Like, uh, I mean, uh, what are they gonna have to? I mean, obviously, we're gonna talk about like you know the the Sonic Hedgehog you know movie franchise later on in the show. But uh, it makes you wonder. Like, uh, are they looking at this and thinking that uh, you know are they gonna have to like up their game somehow? Do you think? Like, I mean, yeah. at this point in time, I mean, we, I'm, I'm sure that they're definitely paying attention to this because, I mean, they're releasing a, you know, we're going to talk about this later, but they're releasing a spinoff movie exclusively on Paramount Plus, so they know that people are wanting this, and so they're saying, okay, you know, the audience clearly wants this, and so we're going to give them what they want, so I think that they are paying attention to this. It makes me wonder, I wonder if they are now actually sitting there thinking, like, you know, hmm, Sonic the Hedgehog 3... Um, maybe we take this, maybe we get rid of, like, all the live-action characters and we basically we make it look like the Mario movie. Can't I mean, can, can you see these discussions going on? 
don't you think? Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. I can definitely see. Okay, let's fo let's focus less on the human characters, focusing more on the characters. Maybe we'll even bring in Crush Forty, and let's just give the fans exactly what it is. It's a movie for the fans by the fans, and it's uh, done by the fans of the series and. Um, yeah, th this is what's going to make money. This is what's going to bring in people. This is what's going to hype up the the, the franchise so we can make more. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah. So um, I guess we look to see how things play out from here. Like, uh, I mean, I'm, I really hope that it does break a billion. I really do. Like, you know, just like you know, that that is the power of Mario, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like uh, the child, the, you know, the the childhood icon in me just uh, feels so happy. Just <laughs> just looking at that. So. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It just goes to show you about how far we've come since the original Super Mario Brothers movie from 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the king of the box office? It's a me, a Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I did that joke last week too. So. Yes, yes, you did. Good job. Yeah. Okay. Shall we move on? Yes, let's move on. So, last week, as you guys remember, we looked at the top 10 best animated Disney films according to IMDb users. This time around, we're looking into Pixar. So, Aaron, are you ready? Um, it's Well, before we begin, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the IMDb users react to Pixar movies compared to how... Because keep in mind, we've done Pixmix, and we've already kind of done our top 5 best and top 5 worst Pixar films. So we did. yeah, we've already done that already. So I'm intrigued to see how different, how much it differs from our our list, uh, effectively. So uh, okay, All right. shall, shall we begin? Right. Yeah, let's begin. All right. So at number ten, we have uh, the Incredibles. Um. Yeah. I mean, like uh, this was in our top five, if I recall. Yes, it was. Yeah. So this is number ten according to IMDb. Yeah, so, yeah, let, let's go into it. So, th I think the reason why The Incredibles still stands the test of time is because it was able to give a new direction of superheroes that we hadn't seen in a while. Not since the Fantastic Four, in which you had, like, a family of superheroes. And also the fact that it's able to take into a more grounded direction that we've seen in the previous films. Mostly focusing on people, as opposed to, like, you know, creatures or inanimate objects. And so, the fact that we were able to have a mixture between humor and serious moments with a great cast and great music and the the directorial debut of Brad Bird after um, his underperforming film, The Iron Giant. It was able to bring some new life into Pixar that we hadn't seen at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's the total package for a lot of people that it had like that blend of action, adventure, and comedy, and serious um, heartwarming moments. So I can see why a lot of people, you know, still generate towards the original even to this day. Yeah, but I mean, like you and I did like, uh, it's like one of the longest uh, PixMix episodes we did. It's our so longest episode of picks mix to date it is over an hour and a half yeah seriously any, any of those thoughts i suggest you just go to that podcast seriously like yes. uh, you know like uh, yeah so okay. all right then and, num and number nine we have monsters inc i believe half. i believe this was number four in our list i think yes it, I was. it was it was number f i believe it was as well and uh yeah we love the original monsters inc considering that we've seen both monsters university and monsters at work and we still think that the original still stands the test of time just, with... just do monsters inc 2 for goodness sake you know like you said, <laughs> we're going we want to know what's going on with boo uh, effectively, and like uh, we got like so, like a snippet of like you know a, a reference to her like in the final episode of Monsters at Work, but besides that, like we've had nothing else. 
You know, it's That's like true, yeah. and, you know, like I think you and I, I mean, like we didn't rate. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like you know, we did give it like I think we like rated like nine out of ten. I think uh, was uh, what we ended up doing it with. But everyone else seems to disagree with us and think it's like it's like it should be up one of the tens. Uh, effectively, but uh, I mean, know. it's it's really hard to say considering that you know a lot of Pixar films are really great, and I know that people have like their perspective of like, okay, this should be rated higher, this should be rated lower, and yeah, Monsters Inc. for a lot of people should have been you know according to them should have been rated a lot higher because they really like the story, they like the characters, they like the dynamics of Mike and Sully, they like the relationship of Sully and Boo, they like the world building. So yeah, I mean, it's still nine out of ten is pretty good, guys. Yeah. Um. Okay. All right. So yeah, I I think at the end of the day, please give us Monsters Inc. too. We really want it. Yeah, just do it. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Do it. All right. At number eight, we have Inside Out. Um. Yeah, I believe this was was it actually this in our top five list. I can't actually can't remember if it was. Mm. Um. Uh, pro- I I have to I have to I, I mean it's been a long time since I've actually listened to our episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Honest. Exactly. Like I'm just going off uh, what I can recall. But, uh, I mean, uh, um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I kind of think it probably was. I mean, I might be wrong when I, when I go back and look at it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, Inside Out was a brilliant movie. Like, it, it, it got off to, like, a really faulty start when they brought, gave us the trailer. Everyone thought, oh, how, how dare Pixar lecture us with our, about our emotions when they've taken us through, like, you know, a bunch of dull movies, you know, effectively. Like, you know, who are they to lecture us on that? But, no, they pretty much commanded the movie. <laughs> <laughs> with that, I, I funny enough, this is the movie I actually watched twice. Uh, would you believe I watched it once to like you know uh, to you know for obviously for picks mix, and then I watched it again just for the enjoyment of it. Uh, effectively. Yeah. and in both and in both movies and the finale, both both sets of uh, audience members cried. Yeah, they they did. And also, by the way, I'm looking at our top five list, and no, it didn't make our top five. Oh, okay then. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, Monsters, Inc., I, I'm just reading this now, uh, The Incredibles didn't make our top five either. Uh, it was actually, um, and Monsters, Inc. made our number three list. So that's that's what it was. All right. So going into um, Inside Out. Yeah. I mean, you have to remember that at a time when Pixar was in a bit of a interesting direction, you, you, John Lasseter wasn't involved with it as much because he became a major um, stay in the Walt Disney Company. He did a lot of major changes to it, like no longer doing the direct-to-video DVDs and also shutting down the actual Disney Toon Studios altogether so that they can focus on the quality of their animation stuff. And also the fact that he was able to bring Studio Ghibli into the mix by releasing their stuff on DVD, introducing to a brand new audience Hayao Miyazaki's work. And so he did a lot of major stuff for the company. I mean, this was years before we actually knew about the sexual allegations, but that's beside the point. So yeah... Um, it's kind of like a similar situation where, um, you know, the nine old men were wondering about, you know, what would Walt do after Walt Disney passed away? And so they decided, okay, let's just do the things that we think that people would want. And so I would say for the past five years after Toy Story 3 was concluding, like the early half of the 2010s were a bit rough. I mean, you had a lot of sequels and you had a lot of movies that were kind of underperforming. I mean, you know, this and The Good Dinosaur actually came out in the same year, but Inside Out was able to bring things back on track cool yeah but yeah i i say that the the times in which i saw inside out i was very emotional as well where you have the scenes where sadness was basically just like you know push into the side because apparently you know joy says you know we can't have any sad memories but 
it, it brings out the important lesson that it, it it's important to be sad. You need that sadness so that you can be able to, uh, you know, let out any emotions that you're welling up inside and, you know, you appreciate the happy moments even more. So yeah, great lesson and really excited about what the sequel has to offer. Yeah. So I was a bit distracted at the minute. I'm actually trying to find like our top 10 list again. <laughs> well, I'll get up here. okay. I, fin I finally got it. I finally got it. Okay. Then it's all right. Good, good, yeah. good for you. By, by the way, um, just to let you know, uh, if, um, while we're going through this, our top five, uh, list uh, that we went through and in fact we've got to even do the top 10 uh, on this compared to the other list is uh, our top 5 is basically Finding Nemo, Monsters Inc, Toy Story 2, A Bug's Life and Toy Story So, well no it's not uh, we, didn't, we didn't put A Bug's Life on the list we actually put in Finding Nemo Ratatouille, Oh, Monsters I'm sorry. Yeah, the, 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 whole, the whole thing's out of uh, all things out of, uh, out of Carlton I just, Kansas sorry I just realised so uh, yeah. yeah, so yeah, the the actual top five is Finding Nemo, Ratatouille, uh, Monsters Inc., Toy Story Two, and the original Toy Story. And this was back before we even let you guys included on the votes. This was when we had just myself, Aaron, and Dan, the Pixar fan. Yeah, and uh, oh yeah, because um, I'm remembering now. So. Uh... Okay, yeah, so this was like, uh, you know, we, we don't do like, you know, like three people voting anymore. We actually include all of you guys' votes as well. So I'm actually curious. I mean, what would happen if we do include our listeners' votes in there and include the movies that we didn't include in the original voting since then? We would have to include, you know, Onward, Soul, Luca, Turning Red, and now recently Elemental. So maybe we'll have to do this uh, updated list down the line. Yeah, I like it. By the way, babe, what, which list are you looking at? Um, uh, sorry, sorry um, I'm sorry everyone talking production in the show, but uh, I mean, like, what list are you lo looking at? The sorry, how are you looking at the list? I mean, are you looking at the, oh, um, are you looking at the spreadsheet? I, I, are you looking at the, uh, are you looking at I, the... I have the, <laughs> what, I, what I did was is that I remembered that Up was in our participation winner. And so I just basically, like, have my thumb uh, through the um, the sliding bar and just, like, looking at, okay, what have been our top oh, five? Oh, you're looking at the just... video. Yes, I'm looking at the video. Oh, you're looking at the video. Okay, I'm not looking at the video. So uh, I'm I'm just looking at like all like oh like uh, I've got the grid actually. You remember the grid that we had? Where, oh yeah, like, uh, I remember the grid. Yeah, yes. yeah. So like because uh, there's uh, so many. The, the thing, the problem is the reason why Dan the Pixar fan got involved is because we've listed so many as ten. So uh, Coco is ten. Toy Story is ten. Ratatouille is ten. Toy Story Two is ten. Rata the Incredibles is ten. Um, Finding Nemo is ten. Inside Out is ten. Finding Dory is ten. Toy Story. 3 is even 10 as well like you know those those yeah. are the ones that are in the grid that actually are that but, but you and me we rated 10 effectively mm -hmm. so. yeah pretty much yeah all right so i guess we should continue on because we have a lot of things to cover so at number seven which uh the movie that was in our top five which is ratatouille yeah i'm quite surprised to see it at number seven I mean, I, I I I even heard my friend Kyle Norty when he did his look back on all the movies done by Brad Bird that he feels that it's like one of the weakest of the Pixar movies. He felt that the story, you know, could have been a little bit better. He felt that the characterization was not as strong as The Incredibles, but he still liked the movie. But, you know, Pixar at that point had a really high standard. So um, I guess, you know, for a lot of people, maybe if they're, you know, maybe not into like the slower paced movies like uh, like this one is and they're 
they're maybe expecting something a little bit more fast paced, then I can understand that. I mean, this movie came out after Cars, so after that slow pace of a, that fast pace of a movie going all over the place, I guess they needed something a little bit slower. And I also it's Cars know, as people... well, so you know, like you and I don't yeah, like exactly. Cars anyway. It's cars. Like... Yeah, we don't like Cars. Sorry for the people who you know disagree with us saying that you know Cars is good. I mean, we do not like it. I'm sorry, but yeah, I, it did kind of like return things back onto a more grounded level and um well, i think that for a lot of people it's a wonderful movie like you know it's like, I, it's I, a, you do agree i, mean, I do like, agree it, it is a wonderful movie yeah like it just just because it's not as like cartoony as like all the other movies doesn't make it suck any less than the other ones you know like, exactly it, it depends on your preference and yeah it's, it's like with a lot of pixar i mean do you prefer something a little bit more fast-paced or do you prefer something a little bit more grounded i mean it, it that's what's great about pixar it has something for everyone and i know a lot of people who love this movie they i mean i've seen a lot of um you know people online who claim that ratatouille is their favorite film especially for chefs online who you know d they say it's their inspiration for wanting to get into the culinary business in the first place yeah but i disagree i don't think it's number seven it's top five to me but. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. It is definitely top five for me. I mean, especially as somebody once upon a time who wanted to become a chef. Mm -hmm. All right. And number six, and this was in our top five, by the way, it's Finding Nemo. And I've already <laughs> had a long story about why this movie meant a lot to me. So um, for those who don't know, when I was in high school, I actually worked in a science museum in Florida. And one of the things that it had was this aquarium where they had a lot of fish in it. And we had a lot of the fish from Finding Nemo, like clownfish and dorsal fins and puffer fish and all that stuff. And I can assure you, every single time when I went over to like help clean the tanks or like vacuum the floors, I would see all these kids like looking around the clownfish and yelling out, look, mommy, there's Nemo. And that just meant so much to me, just seeing all these kids so excited. Oh, by the way, actually, while while we're, on, while we're on the subject of Finding Nemo, uh, I'm sorry, actually, I'm sorry that we kind of brushed over this. Uh, this is actually the weekend that uh, unfortunately Barry Humphreys unfortunately passed away and he was actually Bruce in uh, Finding Nemo. Oh yeah, uh, I heard about that news. That's really sad. Yeah, he's you know, um, it's just Dame Edna was so hilarious. Like you know, there's the, there's, there's clips online. If you can find clips of Dame Edna, or, you know, just you know, just you know, uh, you know, ranting on people, like it's just it's just hilarious. It's just it's just great TV, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like uh, so you know, but Barry Humphreys was always for like you know wonderful characters uh, that he came with, and you know, it's, it's it's great to know that he's now part of Pixar history as well because he definitely deserves Absolutely. it. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we already talked briefly about why Finding Nemo became a massive hit. I mean, first of all, you know, it was the highest selling DVD of all time. A lot of low budget uh, animation studios wanted to cash in on the popularity of the franchise. It had, you know, groundbreaking animation that's never been done before because everything had to look like it was underwater. You had this really great story about a father and son, which, you know, definitely leaned more towards the adult side than the children's side. But at the same time, you were able to see like these two different stories focusing on, you know, an overprotected father and a timid son having to overcome a lot of obstacles and of course a lot of people always bring up that Dory's the highlight of the movie and I mean yes I know pushing aside all the stuff that Ellen DeGeneres did when she was doing her talk show I, I, I understand that but let's be honest. I mean, there's a reason why finding Dory became a thing because a lot of people just fell in love with that character so much and 
yeah, I think that Finding Nemo is like one of my favorite Pixar movies. It's in my top five personally, um, I, you know, for many reasons. In fact, I even took you to that museum uh, about a few years ago, Aaron. If you remember. Oh yeah, I remember that. And uh, you know, so um, I mean, for, for me in regards to Finding Dory, I mean, like uh, it was um, it was the one of the very first, you know, very few, uh, you know, mov- Disney movies. I guess you could say that took place underwater besides The Little Mermaid. You know, well, yeah, and, and according to, and it's actually funny that you know Nathan Lane, uh, you know who you may know for a lot of major roles in Broadway, and he was the voice of uh, Timon in um, The Lion King. He even says that Finding Nemo is his favorite animated movie of all time. Yeah, and believe me, you're going to hear that a lot when it comes to Pixar. You know, like Finding Nemo means a lot to people in all sorts of ways. So absolutely, uh, yeah. All right, now we're going into the top five. So at number five, we have Toy Story three. I'm really surprised to see this there and not Toy Story 2. I mean, I can understand why a lot of people really love Toy Story 3 because it had this sense of finality. I mean, we talked about this in the Toy Story 3 episode on Pixmix, but for a lot of people, Toy Story 3 was kind of like a major swan song. It was a callback to all of the movies that came out before it, and it brought a lot of people back into that nostalgic um, time in which they grew up with it as kids, and now they're full adults, and you know, Andy pretty much grew up with them. And so you have this story about like transition, like where do they go from here? And you have this great villain with Lotso, and you also have, you know, introductions of new characters and new possibilities, and it ended it off in a perfect note. So I think that's why a lot of people really generate towards Toy Story 3. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, like, the problem is, is that, uh, at least with Toy Story and Toy Story 2, if you haven't seen one or the other, you can, like, you, know, you can you can get into it as a singular entity. With Toy Story 3, you sort of have to kind of, like, rely on, like, the charm and, like, you know, the nostalgia of, like, the other two movies to kind of, like, fully, you know, appreciate it, I think. And, uh, well, I mean, th- th- that opening scene, I think, can catch people up a little bit quicker than, say, like, Toy Story 4. But not so- as much as, like, having an entire movie. You know, like right. uh, yeah, I mean, like a, a lot of a lot of people. Can you remember when, like, uh, you know, uh, the finale? I've like this debate about, you know, uh, you know, where Andy, you know, obviously, you know, pl- playing with the toys like one last time, and everyone thought it was kind of like kind of weird you know, for those who hadn't seen like the first, previous two movies. But then everybody else was like really getting into it, like who had watched the first two movies. So it was kind of a polarizing scene. Uh, a little bit from from that regard. Now, uh, am I saying that necessarily it's a bad scene? I mean, like you know, for me and Patricia, who who have the context of like the other two movies, yeah, that's not that you know we, we thought that was an emotional scene, but uh, for everybody else, Absolutely. they were kind of like they were kind of like taken out of the moment, really, you know. So like, yeah, uh, it's, it's... it does make a lot of sense. You have a seventeen-year-old who's still playing with his toys with a three-year-old alongside with him. It it does seem kind of strange if you take it out of context. But if you've seen the other movies, it makes a lot of sense. But that's the thing. That's that's, that's the arguments I'm making. What about the people who haven't seen the other movies? You know, like, I, I oh, guess the only thing that they would have in order for them to get that context is again, like the beginning of the movie. That's yeah. all they would have. Yeah, but it's, I'm I'm arguing that's not enough. You know, compared to like right. what it what is. So yeah, I'm really surprised to see Toy Story three in top five. To be honest with you, mm. yeah. Well, you prefer to see Toy Story two out there. Oh, oh yeah. Well, you remember Toy Story two was like you know uh, number two, and then we had Toy Story. Yes, it was. One. It was. Yeah, that's right. It was number two on our list. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair. All four Toy Story movies bring something amazing to the table, so it's kind of hard to define about which one was the best one. I mean, except the you know our list and the IMDb list, but we'll get to that. Okay. All right, so number four on our list is Up. Yeah, I mean, like that was a participation award movie. 
It was ahead. our participation That's award movie. Four? It was seven out of ten. Yes, it is number four. And let I me. Mean, I we, guarantee you, thing. people just watched the first twelve minutes and then thought nothing else of the rest of the movie. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. That's pretty much why a lot of people still love this movie. It's just that first 12 minutes is just amazing with the relationship with Carl and Ellie and how it was able to just build it up with just music and no dialogue and their relationship together as they grow old. I mean, that is, I mean, we still agree that that's probably the best part of the movie. And, you know, for Aaron and I, and I know a lot of people disagreed with us, we felt that the movie just went completely downhill from there. And the characterizations was kind of like really weird i didn't like charles munce's motivation i thought that russell should have been tweaked a little bit better to make him more of a loser like a kid who had no badges as opposed to a kid who had like a bunch of badges and the only badge he hasn't won was the you know helping an old person badge yeah i mean there's just a lot of things about it that just felt like it should have been like rewritten a few times to make it a little better I don't yeah, know. I mean, I, I just feel that after those 12 minutes where we see Carl and Ellie, the movie just kind of like goes downhill from there. Yeah. Also, do you remember the, the scene with like, you know, the like the, the dogs like in the like in the flying machines? And uh, we kind of like, you know, we kind of like, you know, like uh, um, Dastardly and Muttley in their flying machines kind of like thing. <laughs> I yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop the pigeon, stop the pigeon. Yeah, it's like, you know, just, it, yeah, it was that, that, that it kind of flew off the rails at that point. In my opinion, but mind you, the the, yeah. the whole idea of like you know some crazy old dude, you know, you being being kept alive like for like his hunger for like you know, uh, and you know they'd already done this already in Ducktales, effectively with you know El Capitan, you know, when we really look at it, like if Charles Munts wasn't very original, he was pretty weak as a villain, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I've already said this in my picks mix episode, but to reiterate that. You know, his motivation of trying to capture a bird so that he can be able to prove to this animal society that he's not crazy is pretty moot because he's already a really old man and he was pretty young when he was demoted and when he was embarrassed in front of everybody. So I take it that even if he catches this bird, which, by the way, would be illegal, he would be either arrested or... Uh, for, you know, for doing this, or if he was like, you know, for some reason, this was a, a success, the people who, you know, basically just made him into an embarrassment would probably be dead at this point. So his motivation is just like, like, why? Why are you doing this? Just let it go already. Like, focus on other things, man. I, I don't know, Seriously. You, know, you might have to go back to the Pixmix episodes, have a, have a listen about it, but I'm pretty sure I came up with a better idea for Charles Munts than, uh, you know, the one that they came up with. Yes, uh, we we both we both did. So I would suggest listen to our discussion, and you'll get an idea on what we thought should have been a better s story for this movie. Yeah. All right then. So number three on our list is the original Toy Story. Uh, well, I'm glad to see it in the top five at least. Like you know, cause yeah, like, me it too. I mean, considering that it is the first Pixar movie ever made, and it's built such a high standard. Yeah, but, but, I mean, but the, the, out... the story itself uh, is though is that the massive gamble that they took on this movie because this could have easily bankrupted everybody involved, couldn't it? Like, oh, absolutely. You have to understand that this was a major risk. A movie like this has never been done before at that time, and they went through so many rewrites. I mean, you remember like all the stuff that Jeffrey um, Katzenberg wanted to add in, like mean-spirited Woody and the weird dream sequences. Like this movie could have been a disaster. Oh man, uh, like, this 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 movie in a way didn't just go through like you know uh, a, a technical hell. It went through a production hell pretty much as well. Like uh, you know, if you look at some like the original pilot stuff for this as well you'd look at that and think oh no like you know like uh, this is this is not what you want to say you want to sell to people 
uh, effectively. Like, uh, yeah, and I'm really the the best thing they did was to, to tone basically you know tone up Woody. Uh, character in this, and because I guarantee if they put that out of the original way, I think this could this could be like one of those anomalies that you and I talked about, like uh, you know, uh, you know, something like some of the you remember Search of the Crystal Skull and talks about like you know those movies that kind of like were kind of like obscure uh, fantasy movies. I think we'll be talking about it in the same way we'll be talking about these movies. Yeah, it will probably be alongside with like Princess and the Goblin, in, in which it was like, oh yeah, it was like that weird foreign film, but then when they released it in America, people thought it was a Disney knockoff. It'll be like, oh yeah, there's that that one time in which um they tried to go 3D and it didn't work out, and so they were like they never tried it again, and we just are still in a world where 2D is like the the, the standard. Yeah, like the only the only good thing that probably come come out of that is that Chicken Little Boy would never would have happened. But so that, <laughs> that, that's the only positive that we could have got out of this. But. Uh, yeah, but no, still, uh, Toy Story is still beloved by a lot of people. It has the great characters, the unique concept of like seen from the perspective of a toy, which I mean, technically, it already has been done before. We've already had like Raggedy Ann and stuff like that, but this was done in a completely different way. Where we able to see like the groundedness and the jealousy of one toy seem, um, you know, his owner playing with another toy that's brand new, and also we have like um, all the other toys who are befriending this new toy, and then you have this crazy kid from next door who's destroying toys and you know you have this friendship and um, I mean, he's basically like a buddy cop movie as opposed to like you know a musical which was pretty prominent at disney at the time so it broke all the rules and it was successful because of it mm-hmm. all right at number two we have wally um i mean we we like wally don't get us wrong. Yes, we but, do. I mean, we like do. Uh, the thing is, though, is that uh, it all is going all so well until we get to the final third of the movie. <laughs> Fortunately, yeah, this is a very well. I mean, at least we, you know, with them um, up, you know, it's like the first twelve minutes. But Wally is the first half, and here's the thing: we've talked about this in Aaron and Patricia in the past, but Wally has gotten critical acclaim. It's on the Criterion Collection, and it has been universally acclaimed by so many accolades in recent years. Like, seriously, what? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, hey, yeah, don't get us wrong, like, the idea of the movie and, you know, this idea of, like, this, like, kind of, like, post-apocalyptic world where this uh, one little robot is, like, you know, breaking out of the system, but unfortunately like, everything else is like, just gone to, basically just, you know, um, gone into, like, this polluted hellscape, effectively, and uh, Wally's, like, the only person, who, you know, the wall ro- robot left that's able to do anything. The, on top of that as well, like, it's, uh, it's not told through, like, any, like, or, you know, any dialogue or any, like, any narrative, like, you know, the whole... You know, way that it all is all set up in the scenery is like is enough to tell the story itself. And Wally just like you know just goes through like you know the uh, the physical humor and the physical comedy of it all, and also like all the emotions too, and everything. And like uh, you know, there's very little dialogue in this until effectively you get to the Axiom scenes, effectively. And then yeah, after the, that, when you head over to the Axiom, for a lot of people, it just goes downhill from here. So it tries to does do this social commentary about the complacency of humanity and about how we're letting technology take over everything and oh you don't have to worry about you know changing anything or going back to the way things were because you know we need to follow orders we need to have things just be the way they are and you know just accept it and you can't change anything else about it so yeah it goes into a stereotypical story like that and it it drives away from Wally and Eva and you're like man let's just go back to the robots I mean they were actually really enjoyable to watch but no it, it goes into this story and I know some people actually do like like this part of the story, but Aaron and I, we were not that impressed. And nah, 
So I mean, like, I mean, it's funny, like whenever that we read, you know, reviews from people. I mean, we we even talked about this that they only seem to talk about the first half. They never bring up the second half. I mean, the, the reason well, why it's in the reason, criteria. Like, the um, I mean, the, when we first get off into the movie. By the way, the, the the whole narrative of this movie, I think, is enough for people to you know obviously get something out of this because like it tells a warning of a story of like a, an Earth that is dying and a, a greedy corporation that is taking over everything. So the point where there's very little competition and also the point where it's now taking control of governments like this is this is a warning of a future that potentially we could walk into if we're not careful effectively so that's the reason why it has so much influence in that regard but unfortunately you only get that messaging you know uh, you get that messaging told pretty well in the first half of the movie and then in the second half of the movie unfortunately it loses it loses sort of that focus really and uh, a little bit, but uh, I mean, like it's just it's uh, that's the problem that we've got here with War with Wally in this. Like it's not it's not that it's a movie. I, we like Wally. We think he has some good messaging. We think he has uh, you know some uh, good storytelling in the first half of the movie. But then when you get into the second half of the movie, unfortunately, it just falls flat. It does. And, you know, this is the movie that, like I said before, was praised by the Criterion Collection and a lot of, like, major, you know, film studios and film companies and people who praise films have, you know, said that WALL-E is, like, one of the best movies ever made. I mean, it's the only one out of Pixar, and even with some of the Disney movies that is even ranked, uh, you know, this highly on the list. And, you know, here's the thing, like, we talk about this, that animation being praised like this is a rarity, so, you know, out of all of them, Wally is the one that's getting all the praise, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, and finally, we have number one, which is Coco. It feels like we're coming full circle here, Lloyd, doesn't it? Because that's like the first movie that we reviewed in for Pixmax. And it is. It, it is. Liter- yeah, it's, it's actually funny of how that happened. So um, we were seeing each other in Florida. I think this was like, you know, before we even officially started dating. And so we saw this movie together in theaters. And then we both came up with the idea about like, let's just watch all the Pixar movies out of order and, you know, give our further thoughts into it. And the first movie we literally saw together was Coco. I think this was like the first movie we ever saw in theaters together. Yeah. And it was also, the f- funny enough, the first movie that we actually, you know, drew in the, w- in the random wheel, if you remember. So, yes, like that's it. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's kind of like um, this movie is kind of like really special to us about like all the stuff that it was able to bring. And we really enjoyed our watching experience. I mean, sure, we had to like sit through like 25 minutes of Olaf's Frozen Adventure. Well, my, no, no, I'll like, tell you, what, no, it wasn't that, baby. It was uh, 20 minutes of us watching all the kids running around in the theater until Coco actually started. Like, <laughs> do you remember that? Like it was like you know, uh, Olaf Frozen Adventure was so poorly received, wasn't it? Like uh, you know, and, and not only that, we actually saw this for ourselves because the kids weren't there to watch, you know, F- Frozen. They were there to watch a, a Pixar movie, which was Coco, because they were all like you know thinking that you know the um, at that point that you know it, the movie hadn't started yet, so they're all just kind of messing around in the theater, and so, you know the the parents are trying to like you know keep them all under control and stuff like that. And then finally, when Olaf Frozen Adventure finished and Coco finally started, they all sat down and paid attention to what was going on you know yes exactly and and what a great movie that it was uh, after that whole <laughs> fiasco ended where you know we we started off with like this amazing story about like a uh, a family that you know for you know forbade music from their lives because the ma- the patriarch of the household left a long time ago and so music was banned and so they focused on making shoes and then you have this one kid who absolutely loves music who tries to go behind his back and have his dream 
dream so that he can be able to become a great musician. He ends up in the world of the dead and um, tries to meet up with his ancestor, who is the greatest musician of all in Mexico, and taking place during the Dia de los Muertos. And so, yeah, this movie was amazing when we first saw it. That theater experience, when you first see the Dia de los Muertos, was just breathtaking oh you know when, when you just see like the whole city of the dead just like in front of you and like it's just this whole colorful presentation like it's just you, you, you there was times when uh, i actually saw this in 4k on my television and i just paused it just to just take it all in like you know it's mm-hmm. phenomenally animated it really is and uh, they do it's a lot wonderful. of creative stuff uh, with this movie, and uh, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Also, the, I mean, the, there is a twist ending uh, in in it all, but uh, I mean, which we're not going to spoil on really because we're not really into spoilers section at the minute. But uh, yeah, I think it's just it's. Uh, I mean, yeah, I definitely agree. Everyone should definitely watch this movie, and uh, you know, it's so well cultured, it's so well done, and uh, it's just you know the music is uh, great in it as well. There's also like some adult jokes in it as well, where like you know, uh, um, you know, um, he has to change like the you know, part of the songs because children are present. Like uh, that was uh, that that bit was hilarious to me, you know. Absolutely. Like, oh yeah. yeah, there's some there's some great scenes in this movie. So mm-hmm. yeah, and I would definitely say, I would definitely say if uh, you know um, you know if we were in a de- if we were in a debate with other Pixar fans and we were trying to like put all these movies in order and someone said oh well Coco has to be number one I mean I couldn't argue with it I mean I would argue that they're probably more influential uh, Pixar movies that are there in the collection that could also t- accompany t- number one but I mean if it got to the point where like we were arguing for hours on end about like you know what number one should be and everyone keeps saying Coco I mean I would I would fold and say Coco was the number one. Mm. So. I would definitely have it like maybe in my top five, but um, if if somebody were to say like Coco is the best, I mean I would you know say you're not wrong because it it just does so much in terms of you know the presentation of this movie. Yeah. So I mean, right. Right, so in this whole list, you know, out of the ones that we had in our top five, so um, I mean, so Monsters Inc. and uh, what was it Ratatouille, um, Toy Story have all survived. But, uh, yes. you know, the, the other ones have not, pretty, pretty much. No, the other ones have not. So, um, yeah, we we didn't see Toy Story 2. And also, um, yeah, I, I think, well, yeah, the only one that didn't make it to the list was Toy Story 2 because Ratatouille made it onto the list, Monsters, Inc. made it to the list, and Toy Story's uh, 1 made it onto the list. So, yeah. The, I'm just really surprised. Other- I think Toy Story 2 is, like, one of the best sequels ever made. I think to, uh, to any movie, like you know, there's only three sequels I really do appreciate in uh, in movies. There's Shrek 2, Toy Story 2, and Terminator 2. Those are the two that <laughs> I like. You know, yeah, like, the, uh, and, yeah. and Kung Fu Panda 2 is also really good too. Uh, yeah, Kung Fu Panda 2 is also really good as well. And uh, so, but mind you, those are my three effectively for like okay, sequels. Okay, yeah, movies. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, those are great lists, by the way. Those are great sequels. Yeah, yeah, but also, that'd, be, um, that'd be hell of a movie as well. Like you know, yeah, like you know, uh, uh, coming soon to uh, Shrek teams up with the Terminator and a bunch of toys. <laughs> it's the, uh, <laughs> the ultimate two <Uh-oh>. movie. <laughs> oh man, that is like the ultimate fever dream fan fiction. Yeah, and I bet you it probably exists. And, avo- and sure unfortunately, all the females are pregnant. So <laughs> what? Because <laughs> that's what happens in fan fiction. Oh God, no. Okay, yeah. okay, so. The only thing that was not in the IMDb list, but was, um, 
you know, uh, that we didn't mention as, um, yeah, we, 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 I mean, everything was like pretty much what we said on IMDb and our, our own personal list. So, I mean, yes, we would have arranged it a little bit more, but other than that, I mean, it was not bad of a list, I would say. I yeah, mean, but, you know, the Disney list was the, a bit of a The one thing I'll definitely, I'm definitely thankful for is that, so none of these, none of the, in the top 10 ended up in our, you know, our top, in our top five worst list. Like, you know, I'm glad. <laughs> that's, that's true. I mean, we didn't get to see any of the Cars movies, thank, no, thank God. goodness, yeah. No Cars movies, thank goodness. And, uh, yeah, no, no Brave either. Movies. Yes, no Cars movies, no Brave. Uh, Good Dinosaur was not on the list. So, you know, we were safe from that um, monstrosity. Yep. Anyway, but you know what? I mean, at least with the Disney list, I mean, I can understand why there's a bit of a debate on that one. But with Pixar, they seem to, you know, pretty... It was pretty consistent all the way through. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean you, you've done better. the Disney Renaissance films, haven't you, with uh, with other people? Like, yeah, I with think you Chris, and I. Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah, you and I have never kind of sat down and like say, okay, let's review every Disney movie, have we? So, no, we've like, never done that. I mean, to be fair, we've only done it by eras. We never done the movies individually. Yeah. So maybe who knows? Maybe if you guys really want us to cover each movie individually, please let us know because that'll be an undertaking. I mean, that's like sixty-one. Oh, baby, you, know, you, you, you jinxed about. it now. Here come all the YouTube comments saying, "What took you so long?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe because so we have nineties kids. <laughs> maybe because we have other movies that we want to look into that's not from disney yeah you know, maybe you know yeah well. so you know and enjoy journey to the blue sky people <laughs> uh. all right all right let's let's move on so um atari is acquiring more than 100 pc and console titles from the 80s and 90s including bubsy hardball demolition racer 1942 pacific war f117a and the 14 air uh the the, four, the f14 combat series so yeah so huh, interesting about what, what atari is doing i've actually got the press release actually right here because actually i've been actually looking for like the entire list of like the 100 PC and console titles, but I can't actually kind of seem to see it. I've only actually got the press release uh, over here. I don't know if you've managed to dig yeah, in that I think That's the only thing that's, you know, currently out right now is just that press release from Global yeah. Newswire. I'll tell you what, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a read. Um, so, Atari, one of the most iconic consumer brands and interactive entertainment producers, announced today the acquisition of more than 100 PC console, 100 PC and console titles from the 1980s and 1990s. The collection includes notable games from Busby Hardball Demolition Racer series, as well as 1942 Pacific Air War, F F117A and F14 Combat Series. Atari will seek to expand digital and physical distribution of the classic titles, create new games based on the intellectual properties, and explore brand and merchandising collaborations. Uh, according to Wade Rosen, who is the CEO of Atari, he says, This is a deep catalogue that includes groundbreaking and award-winning titles from Accolade, Infograms, and Microprose. Microprose, by the way, is uh, one of the uh, companies that uh, produced uh, Rollercoaster Tycoon and Transport Tycoon. Uh, by the way, and well, Transport Tycoon is one of my favorite games. Uh, uh, by mm -hmm. the way, I still play it to this day. <laughs> uh, that's not so much of a loser I am, but still uh, going on. Um, many of these titles are part of an Atari a part of Atari history, uh, and a fan can look forward to seeing many of these games released in physical and digital formats, and in some cases even ported to modern consoles. Uh, Atari also acquired the trademark for the Accolade, Accolade and GTI brands. Uh, Accolade is a well-respected U.S. video 
video game developer and publisher from 1984 up until 2000. Atari is undertaking a multi-year effort to transform the company behind one of the world's most iconic brands. Uh, an important part of the, that inv effort involves expanding Atari's video game business, leveraging the company's large catalogue of IPs to release classic games and bring new high-quality games to market. So before we continue actually on that, um, so um, it looks like not only are we going to get like the classic games probably released on like, you know, virtual consoles, I probably imagine, and also like on stores, like on, on Xbox and also on the PlayStation store, I probably would imagine. But, you know, apparently we're going to get new versions of these games as well. So. Yeah, which is something that if you can, if you remember that the uh, Intellivision Amico promised us. <laughs> yeah, like, well, mind you, this is different now because this is Atari, and like you know, they've got the ability to like you know release on other platforms as well as probably like you know, I probably imagine that you know they can release stuff on PC, they can release stuff on you know game consoles. I mean, like they have the ability to do it. You know, they are Atari. Mm -hmm. Uh, effectively, but uh, so um, I mean, I guess uh, I mean interesting to see like you know, some of the uh, um, examples that they give. So you know, uh, I mean, we, we all know about Busby, you know, in regards to like you know the disastrous PlayStation title and stuff like that. Like you know, and also the you know the uh, the, the TV pilot, which was like you know complete garbage. I mean, uh, we've, <laughs> seen, we've seen the we've seen the worst of Busby, but I mean, like uh, I mean, putting the wrong hand, putting the sorry, putting the correct hands. I mean, could you see Busby making a comeback? I mean, they have. Di remember, Busby had did have a comeback a few years ago. Uh, Bubsy, the Wooly Returns. So um, that game was just mediocre at best. I mean, it was the best Bubsy rated game, but it was like it lasted like less than two hours, and people expected to pay forty bucks for it. Well, yeah. I mean, again, I I I, well, I rest my case on that one. Like, put it in the hands of someone who's competent. You know, <laughs> make a game that doesn't last like just two hours long. You know, exactly. Like, you know, yeah. Gives Busby like the you know, the adventure he deserves, effectively. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's actually you know put care into characters that deserve it. I mean, to be quite honest, I mean Bubsy is you know for a while you know he was kind of like that rival character to like Sonic, in which in terms of like oh you know he's this Bobcat and he collects yarns and he has like all these you know quippable lines like you know what could possibly go wrong. So you know I'll, there was a really big push on Bubsy. But yeah, the PlayStation game just killed it after a while. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, I mean, again, like we don't have like an entire list of like all the hundred, you know, uh, titles that they have. But uh, I mean, it doesn't make you feel excited for like what they potentially could release. You know. Yeah, and, and and not not to say that Atari hasn't done this in the past. I mean, they've done a lot of compilations where they, you know, release it on like uh, you know, the original PlayStation and PlayStation Two, and they even had like the old uh, classic consoles, uh, the plugins that they had back in the two thousand. So, I mean, it is readily available in a lot of places. But the fact that Atari is now acquiring more games so that people can be able to have a chance to play them, I mean, this is pretty exciting for well, a lot of like that. retro games. It's like the fact apparently some of these intellect they keep. In mind, they're not just purchased the games, they purchased the intellectual property rights to it as well. So, there's going to be chances for new games, new merchandise, things like that. So, like, they could breathe life into like some of these old games that we used to grow up with, effectively. Exactly, yeah, and that's what makes it exciting because now a new generation will be able to become introduced to it. Cool, yeah, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'm excited for it too. Like, you know, good go on you, Atari. Like, you know, that's what bringing back the good old days. Uh, yeah, and then when people are asking, Have you played your Atari today? they'll be like, Yes. 
Yeah, well, it's uh, on a different console, effectively. Yeah, on a different console. Have you yeah. played Atari today? Yes, on my PlayStation 5. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, so continuing on with the press release. Atari's vast library of IP is the vault of, from which uh, new exciting ga- game development ideas are pulled, reinventing old classics, reimagining storylines, and developing entirely new narratives uh, inspired by the games that are set to uh, set the course of an entire industry. Uh, to stay up to date on all things Atari and retro culture, follow on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and join the community also on the official Discord as well. Oh, well, they have a Discord? Okay. Well, I, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, probably Atari have a Discord. Okay. Well, what do you know? Okay, so, um, hi, Atari. Welcome to the 21st century, apparently. Yeah, like, you know, actually, yeah, like, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. I mean, like, yeah, that's the standard, but Discord? Like, you know, like, mm, uh, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> cool. I mean, like, I uh, hope the mods aren't authoritarian, but, uh... All right, then. Well, awesome. Yeah. All right, so last week we talked about that Tiny Toons Luniversity was going to be released on Max, not HBO Max, but Max. And we were saying, like, okay, we haven't seen a trailer yet, so we can't give you any further comments. Literally the next day, that's when a teaser trailer came out. They're listening, <laughs> so to, it. They're listening to us, Patricia. I, I know, it's like... They're listening to us. I know, it's like, uh, oh, uh, you know, these two nerds in this podcast series are wanting to see our teaser trailer? Well, here you go, here in you the go. next day. It's like, you know, they rushed, they rushed into the animation department and said, just just close, just get whatever you want and just clip it all together and put it together seriously. But no, no seriously, like, uh, this trailer is uh, is actually really, is really good, so, to be honest with you. Like, it gives you the context of, like, what this show is going to be about. Like, so, it looks like the um, the Looney Tunes have, like, you know, uh, you know, legendary status within the industry, which they should should do and uh, mm-hmm. now the, you know uh, they're respected within the Luniversity and you know so Buster and Babs and all the other you know tiny tunes uh, are all going to learn from them effectively and become better you know uh, you know tunes as a result so you know that's the uh, uh-huh. That's that. That seems to be the narrative that we're going with here on this, which uh, you know, somewhat. I mean, I mean, give you, the Tiny Toons were more. I mean, they weren't really relying, you know, all that heavily on like you know the the tunes of old, if you will. Like you know, they were like their own. Sh- they were their own show, effectively. Like you know, they had their own adventures and uh, they had like you know their own like comical skits. And it would just be like the occasional cameo that like, you know the uh, the other Looney Tunes would come in to like you know do like the lectures and stuff. Like you know, so they weren't they weren't they weren't as prominent as they were as in like in the uh, in the original show. But it sounds to me like uh, with what they're doing here, it sounds like they are going to be paying paying more of like you know uh, of a of a driving uh, role in the uh, in the story from the looks of it. So yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so yeah, the teaser trailer looks pretty interesting in terms of, you know, it's really colorful, really fast paced, and it's basically like, you know, it looks like a, wow, a university where you get to learn how to be able to become a major cartoon character like the Looney Tunes. Wow, they're actually able to follow it to the title. Yeah, I, mean, I think the one thing I think people were afraid of is that is it going to like capture like you know the original like you know uh, feel of the show? And uh, I think you know it seems to be doing it so far from the looks of it. Yeah, it, it does seem to be doing it so far. And of course, you know, I I hear a lot of the voice acting, and 
you know, there's a lot of changes to it, which of course is not too surprising. I mean, some of the voice actors are, you know, they're no longer with us. Like Joel Lasky, who was plucky, had passed away several years ago. Don Messick, who was the voice of Hampton Pig, he passed away like over 25 years ago. I mean, a lot of, you know, they had to be a lot of changes at this point. And of course, you know, we have like the newer incarnations of Looney Tunes. So you're going to have people like um, Bob Bergen and Eric Bowser and Candy Milo reprising their roles. And I think that from what I hear, maybe that's Tress McNeil is reprising her role as Babs, but sadly it's not Charlie Adler reprising his role as Buster, which, you know, I would have loved to have heard him do Buster one more time, but, you know, I understand that, you know, for a lot of people, you know, they were like, you know, we, we're going to do this new interpretation of these characters, which is fine. Um, yeah, but so far, I mean, the, the teaser trailer is not very long. It's only like maybe what, like a minute or so. So they're all, they're just like throwing everything onto the screen. But no, I mean, I think that it's. I would say it's promising. I'll just say that it is promising. I, I would mean, argue they. I would argue they captured the show. I think you know, like yeah. it's fast paced, and also like you know, no wonder it's a minute. Like you know, that's that's how it, that's how. I mean, keep in mind they were five minute skits when we originally like had Tiny Toon Adventures. Eventually. Yeah, that's so, right. Like, yeah. There was like five minute skits. We had the occasional music video with a lot of songs from They Might Be Giants. So yeah, I mean that's how the that's how Tiny Toons was back in the day. So I, I'm you know as somebody who loves Tiny Toons, and I even did an entire podcast of this years ago with my friend Kevin, and we talked about how much that Tiny Toons was such an influential show when it first came out, and we talked about like the importance of including like the female characters like Babs and Shirley the Loom and Fifi Lafume. We talked about the music. We talked about Tiny Toon Adventures, how I spent my summer vacation, which, by the way, I still call it that it's one of my all-time favorite things from Tiny Toons, and it's something that I've been watching every summer for almost 30 years. So it is a tradition for me to watch that every single summer. So, yes, Tiny Toons means a lot to me, and seeing this new incarnation kind of, like, captured the spirit of the original, I'm really happy for the kids who are going to be watching it on Max. Yeah. I'll safely say this. I don't think we're going to get a modern interpretation of the beer episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my... Can you imagine... <laughs> What will be like today's equivalent? It's like okay, Buster, Plucky, and Hampton find a joint. Yeah, uh, well, maybe they all find fentanyl. I don't know, but oh my uh, gosh, yeah, no. no, but you know, like uh, yeah, um, I mean, I guess they're awesome. Like I don't know, like uh, one idea I could think of is like you know, energy drinks are pretty popular at the minute. Like you know, and uh, they can, they, you know, if you take too many of them, like obviously they can do all sorts of stuff to you. Oh, yeah, okay. especially for a child. Uh, yeah, I would say that if you want to go into that direction, yes, energy drinks will probably be something like, oh, yeah, we're going to take all these energy drinks because maybe we're, you know, overwhelmed with all the classes at Acme University and we want to be able to catch up with things. Kind of like, as told by Ginger, stuff will kill you. Instead of caffeine, we have energy drinks. So especially since they're children, you know, and they, they should be drinking any energy drinks until they reach a certain age, then, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Yeah, exactly. So I think, uh, you know, they, they could do some good message episodes, I think. I mean, like, but I, I don't think they're going to go as hardcore as Bear, I don't think. No, I, I, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, well, getting drunk, you know, you know, uh, you, know um, you know, objectifying women and, you know, hijacking a police car and, like, you know, driving it off a, <laughs> driving it off a, off a, uh, off the road and then smashing it and like you know and then, oh my god yeah. no no good grief <laughs> like yeah you know where we were subjected to some stuff kids 
let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's true. But that's not to say that Tiny Toons didn't have some really great episodes. I mean, a lot of people remember the Honey episode where Babs is trying to find a cartoon character from the 40s and who was like a, a great female actress that was pretty much forgotten over time. And then there's also, um, you know, great episodes where Babs heads over to Dodo Land and appreciates like, um, you know, self-control and discipline from her parents and uh, yeah, there's just a lot of fantastic episodes. I would, I, I, it's, it's really sad that Tiny Toons has unfortunately been overshadowed by Animaniacs and various other shows that, um, you know, Warner Brothers had developed well, during the 90s. I don't know, like, you know, I was having this debate on Twitter just like, you know, a couple of days ago. I don't know if you saw, but so some people are saying, you know, oh, Tasmania, why was that not, you know, appreciated back in the 90s? It's just like, you know, Tasmania was like on TV all the freaking time in, uh, in 1990s. Like, you know, like, uh, it was a big show back then. Like, you know, just oh, yeah, because you're of, right. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, some of these shows, like, it, it kind of annoys me when, like, people, like, say, oh, well, uh, why has X show, like, not been on TV recently? It was only shown in the 90s. Nice it's because, um, I mean, because probably because Hollywood hasn't got around to, like, you know, making an updated version of it yet. And, like, oh, even, if it, that's true. even if it does, like, you know, we all have to pray it doesn't suck. You know? <laughs> it's like, it's just, you know, it's like, by the way, um, while we're on the subject of Tiny Toon Adventures, uh, I actually have found a, uh, this was uh, done back, this is a bit of an old list, it's back in 2020, but uh, Screen Rant did a, a top 10 Tiny Toons Adventures list, and so, uh, this is according to IMDB again, so, do you want to go for oh, the, uh, you, you know what, at this point in time, IMDB should sponsor us. Yeah, okay, do you want to go for this list anyway, and just uh, see what we think? So these are the, they're not in any particular yeah. order, they're just kind of like, this is just like the 10 top episodes. So, sure, why yeah. not? Okay, then. Um, so, number 10... So, the first one in this list is Citizen Max. Uh, that's the spoof of Citizen Kane. You know, Montana yes. Max, yeah. And so, you know, when Hampton thought, like, he was saying, you know, uh, apnea, and he was wondering why he yelled it out, and so then he's like, well, it's basically just like, you know, Citizen Kane, effectively. Yeah, but. it makes a lot of sense, considering that Tom Ruger, Paul Rugg, and a lot of the major writers of Tiny Toons, Animaniacs, uh, Pinky in the Brain, and Freakazoid were huge fans of, like, you know, films from the 40s, so, I mean, you're going to see a lot of references to those as, you know, uh, you know, in episodes. It's kind of like how today, you know, we see a lot of, like, 80s and 90s references in our modern cartoons so it was like that for uh, for them and seeing a citizen kane on tiny tunes making a lot of sense for montana max i, I mean it, it is actually perfect casting yeah um number two in this list is the buster bunny bunch that's the one where Rob paulson does his hilarious interpretation of arnold schwarzenegger Oh, yes. <laughs> they even had a character like that in Tiny Toons, Arnold the Pitbull, which is basically their version of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number three in this list is Con Ducky. Uh, that's the one where, like, he does the, um, um, I think it's like when he made that movie, I think it was. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, it, yeah. I Dog. remember. Yeah, so it's, oh, it's a parody mm -hmm. of the 1950 film Con Tiki, where uh, a Plucky hired doll, uh, portrayed by Plucky Duck, uh, also played by Joe Aklaski, uh, and his crew are determined to legitimize the theory of uh, to the Explorers Club that ducks sailed to, to Salinas and not migrated. Yes, I remember. Yeah. Um, Agony Cable TV is the next one. Uh, this is an anthology episode. Uh, Babs and Buster catch uh, Taiwan fever and uh, decide to watch uh, TV while they get better. And uh, the segment seems, segments parody various t classic TV shows and commercials, including Walt Disney's A Wonderful World of Color, uh, Lassie, Hollywood Squares, and Roseanne. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I, it was a, yeah, it was definitely a bit of a hodgepodge of that episode, which makes a lot of sense because it is an anthology episode. So, yeah, it, it was definitely like for them, it felt like a, a fever dream because they were sick and they were watching TV when that happened. Yeah. 
Um, next one is list is the loony beginning. Um, that's in this episode of the series, uh, the audience is uh, introduced to the cast, including the two leads, Buster, Babs and Buster Bunny. Uh, the story followed the animators creating Tiny Toons uh, with Babs, Buster, and Bugs Bunny. So basically, it's like a you know, a, you know, a, a parody, like behind the scenes episode, effectively. Yeah, which I love, by the way. I love when they you know become self aware and introducing the audience about how things work. It's it's like one of my favorite things. It's kind of like in episodes such as like Rocco's Modern Life or even Big City Greens, in which they kind of break the fourth wall about like this is how we became a thing so yeah i, I really enjoy that yeah like, I, I like i mean it kind of like gives you more of like you know uh an intimate relationship with the characters in a way because you get to see them like you know was uh, oh we're just real people you know like yeah, he's like, yeah you know, exactly exactly uh next one on this list is fields of honey uh while other students are working uh with their mentors uh, babs feels left out so that she doesn't have one this inspires her to search for a mentor and uh, in the process becomes along uh, honey uh, an obscure female character that's a reminiscence of babs personality but yeah, that's the episode you were talking about uh, yes i yeah. love this episode so much it is fantastic the fact that uh, you know at the time you know uh, for babs there weren't like oh you know there's not a lot of uh, female characters that i can look up to you know I, I need to have a mentor and so she hears about honey she wants to learn more about her she's disappeared off the face of the earth and then she learned the important lesson about like if you're remembered, that's how you're able to stay in time. And you have to remember, like, you know, before, you, you, I mean, sure, with Looney Tune characters, you've had, like, some characters. You had Witch Hazel, you had Granny, you had Petunia Pig, but you didn't really have a lot of female Looney Tunes characters. And so it made a lot of sense that why Babs wasn't able to find a character that she couldn't, like, gravitate and relate to. And in the fact that she was able to remember about, like, you know, if you remember a character, then that's why they stay around forever. And if you don't remember them, they pretty much disappear. And I thought that that was a really sweet story. I really loved this episode. Yeah. But you know, this is one of the very few episodes that had, like, a side plot going on where Buster and Plucky were uh, debating whether Bugs or Dappy was the best animated character of all time. <laughs> <laughs> that's also really funny too it's a debate that's still going on even to this day because i mean yeah who's funnier is it bugs or is it daffy i don't know it's up to your inter own interpretation well we've seen some top tens haven't we before where daffy duck has been basically placed at number one and get ahead of bugs Bunny. yeah that's true yes and it also depends on who um is you know doing the interpretation of daffy what i mean there's a lot of differences between like chuck jones doing daffy and then bob clampett doing daffy so it depends yeah. Okay. Um, next episode is her, her wacky highness. Uh, another episode uh, from season one. Uh, the story dealt with Babs uh, acting up in class and not letting up until she uh, until she upsets her teacher Elmer Fudd. Uh, both her principal and mother insist that she needs to to needs to to needs to self needs to control herself. Uh, uh, feeling unsatisfied with and underappreciated, she runs away to Wacky Land where there is no rhyme or reason. And she I, can I act just like mentioned that episode please. just a minute ago. Yes, that's yeah. when she w goes over to Wacky Land and meets up with the Dodos, and so she can be able to just go all crazy and do whatever she wants. But she learns the importance of self control. I just literally talked about that episode. Yeah. So wow, two of my favorite episodes of Tiny Toons made it into this list. Mm -hmm, okay. Next one is Hollywood Plucky. Uh, Plucky and Hampton uh, travel to Hollywood for sightseeing, celebrity watching, and uh, potential to sell plucky scripts meanwhile uh, having missed their bus babs and buster are stranded in the desert so. yes uh they, they have the infamous joke where hampton basically you know tries to get himself into the the uh to the studio saying like hey yeah baby let's do lunch it basically sounded like some old 1930s actor and um you know Pl plucky's having like a lot of difficulty trying to get into the hollywood studio which is actually pretty hilarious that somebody as like you know 
you know, pretty much a wallflower as Hampton was able to make it, but somebody as crazy as Plucky was not. Uh, yeah, that's that's actually pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, next episode is uh, funny enough called Animaniacs, and uh, so uh, in this episode, Plucky is doomed to fail in his class animation 101 unless he produces a film for the animation festival. He and Buster crack down uh, along with uh, Magical Pen to uh, guide Plucky through the process of animation. Meanwhile, in uh, uh, the uh, Looney Beginnings preview, it showed how to develop how how a show developed Animaniacs to divulge into this topic. Uh, uh, this episode also had uh, some fun Easter eggs, including the poster and title art of past two. Tiny Toon Adventure episodes and cameos from uh, future Animaniacs characters. Yeah, so. so this is an episode I just briefly talked about where it was able to break the fourth wall and able to bring in, uh, you know, the behind the scenes of how animation works. And we would like um, Rocco's Water Life would parody this, and so would Big City Greens, in which they would kind of like showcase, okay, we do a script and then we have the storyboards and then we put it all together. And so, yeah, I, I think that um, episodes like this are always a treat to see because you get to see firsthand about how, you know, the whole process is. It's, it's, it's actually another one of my favorites as well. Yeah, and the tenth episode in this list is uh, Buster and Babs host a music channel that is Spoof MTV. This is uh, the episode Tiny Toons Music Television. Uh, throughout the episode, there are several music segments uh, for involving characters uh, singing along songs that allude to well-known tunes such as Andrew Van's Respect, uh, There Might Be Giants, Particle Man, and uh, Barrett Strong's uh, Money. Uh, that's all I want. Yes, I love this episode so much. It can, it, it actually brought me the uh, awareness of They Might Be Giants. This is how I first learned about Particle Man and Istanbul, Constantinople. So I became a huge fan of listening to their music because of watching the stuff from Tiny Toons, if you can believe it. Yeah, it's kind of what Craig Butler said to me, like uh, one of the uh, Hey Arnold uh, um, uh, anniversary shows, when he talks about like, uh, oh, wait, everyone's like, kind of getting into uh, you know opera music now after what's opera Arnold. So... Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I think that if the presentation of music, if, if especially if a kid has never heard it before, is done really, really well, they get a bigger appreciation for it. And I've been following They Might Be Giants for over 30 years now, so it, 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 it thanks to Tiny Tunes, it was able to leave an impact on me. This is the thing, like, you know, a lot of us, you know, uh, who appreciate this music now, likely it is, we might have heard it in, like, some of our favorite cartoon shows. Absolutely, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Uh, Tiny Toons University, there's the bar, you know, <laughs> time to jump. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, I I really want to see uh, episodes that really not only are humorous, but also pull at the heartstrings and introduce us to some pretty cool music. So, yeah, I, I, here's the thing. We haven't seen Animaniacs, uh, the Hulu version yet, so I, I hope that we do get a chance to see it at one point and see how it compares to the original Animaniacs that we grew up with in the 90s. But, um, yeah, Tiny Toons University, I mean, like, it, it means a lot, you know, personally, it means a lot to me. So I'm hoping question. that it, it becomes... You know, if, if uh, this season does pretty well, do you think we'll get, like, a, you know, a special, kind of like how I spent my vacation? Oh, I would love it if they do. Oh, man, that would be so great. If if Tiny Toons University does really, really well, then that'd be great. But then again, we never got a, a Wacko's Wish situation where, you know, they had like their their five seasons and then they eventually had the Wacko's Wish special. So we never got that, unfortunately. Yeah, like, uh, so uh, interesting to see if they would get a special for the new show. So Yeah, I, I would. That would be really great if they did that. Cool. All right, so going over to our next bit of news. So, I mean, we've already talked many times before about the dumpster fire that is Warner Brothers, where, oh, you know, boy. there's... 
Yeah, we've already talked about it. So let's not go <laughs> digging that deep hole again. Let's just bring up some hopefully good news. So uh, Bill Dmashki is going to be the new president of Warner Brothers Animation. And he was a former executive at DreamWorks where he oversaw films such as the Madagascar and Kung Fu Panda series. So do you think that maybe this could be, you know, hopefully the silver lining towards the dumpster fire that Warner Brothers is at at this point in time? Either that, they're paying him a ton of money to uh, basically go to the cafeteria, like, eat all the food and then go home. So, <laughs> like, uh, the, I, I, I don't know, like, uh, Warner Brothers is such a mess right now, and uh, they seriously need some strong leadership in that place, and, you know, uh, uh, so, uh, my whole, uh, you know, appreciation for, uh, you know, Bill Dimashki to try and jump into the situation and salvage whatever he can, so, like, uh, this is not going to be an easy job by any stretch of the imagination, so, uh, you know, it's times like these where big personalities are definitely needed, and uh, I'm really hoping Bill is going to be, like, one of those big personalities who can kind of bring everyone in together and say, look, let's get this sorted, all sorted out and, you know, get things going. So, uh, I mean, like, uh, yeah, I mean, like, he's got a, he's got a big, uh, I mean, well, someone, was, I was just one of the things, you know, besides Luniversity that we just talked about before, like, uh, you know, they, they have, like, some other big things that are going to be coming up soon, I believe. Uh, Warner Brothers. Yeah, I mean, which which is unfortunate considering that a lot of the stuff that w did sound really promising have been cancelled or were written as tax write-offs. Thanks, Bill. You know, thanks, Slaza, if you jerk. Well, I mean, anyway. like, uh, maybe who knows, maybe he might put the argument back in to say, like, look, we shouldn't have wrote these things off for tax purposes. We should bring them back. You never know. I mean, can, can, you, can you do that? Uh, well, I mean, the legal department will have a headache for a couple of days, but, you know, like, uh, who knows? Like, again, we, we don't know, I mean, this is the thing, like, you know, I've always argued that when you when you declare stuff for, like, tax write-offs and things like that, I think it should, I think it should become public domain immediately, in my opinion, but uh, that's just me, so, I mean, like, I, I don't know what the legality is of all of this kind of stuff, but, uh, I mean, right now, Warner Brothers Animation, they, you know, they, they need to, you know, effectively do something. Uh, at the moment, because uh, you know, um, uh, you know, we've all, we've talked you know multiple times on this podcast about all the problems that are basically are going on within uh, WB at the minute, and uh, they you know so I think what the thing the one thing that uh, Bill could do is uh, you know basically make some announcements to say oh hey look you know um, okay things haven't gone all that well but uh, look at all this stuff that you need to get excited about like you know all well, here's these all these new creations that we're going to have very soon and uh, we we promise you that they are going to fulfill with that because I guarantee you that like you know um, if um, I'm really hoping that Bill has taken this job knowing that he's going to be able to you know make announcements about stuff or get people excited about things without basically being flushed down the toilet by, by other you know one brother's executives effectively because if he's going to get undermined in this position then he might as well just walk away and do something else so yeah, yeah. Well, one brothers are lucky to have him i'll safely say that you know yeah, so I'm just going to read off an excerpt from The Hollywood Reporter, which uh, it, it, they got this exclusively. So it says right here, um, veteran animation executive Dil Dabashki, who rose to lead DreamWorks Animation before its sale to NBC Universal, is in final talks to take over as head of Warner Animation Group, the belligerent animation arm of Warner Brothers Pictures. The company has been leaderless since the exit of executive VP Abis um, Allison Abate, who departed in the summer of 2022 amid the Warner 
Warner's takeover by Discovery and the shakeup that followed. This included the shelving of Scoob Holiday Haunt, a complete feature that was co-written and produced by Abate's husband, Tony Sorove, and a lot of other projects that were, you know, shelved, but we, we, we already know about that. So, uh, Dimashki has spent 20 years at DreamWorks Animation, joining from the startup level in 1995 and rising to COO. He oversaw productions such as Madagascar, Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon, and The Croods, and shepherded the company's movie to live um, to live theatrical productions, including Shrek the Musical. He briefly led Skydance Animation before pivoting to Broadway, producing uh, the Moulin Rouge musical and the Prom Rouge, which is a massive hit, and um, then eventually became... Um, uh, eventually becoming a uh, winning of 10 best musicals alongside with prom launching a tour and adapted by a feature by Ryan Murphy. And uh, yeah, I think that the only things that is currently on right now that um, is going to be coming out is uh coyote versus uh, Acme, which is starring John Cena. And uh, then there's another movie that um, hasn't been announced yet. But yeah, as you said, like, oh, what's, you know, Warner Brothers going to be doing? I guess that's going to be their next thing. You know, Coyote versus Acme, which is Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner starring John Cena. So that's what we're going to have at this point. I mean, it's got a name on it, I guess. And uh, good grief. Like, it's just, it's, uh, I mean, um, who knows? Maybe they might do something inventive with it. I mean, like, by the way, it's been a long time since Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner, like, you know, in a month. Marquee, pretty much, isn't it? So, like, yeah, uh, it, it's been a long time. So, I think that you know, when you think of like you know, uh, Looney Tunes characters that are getting the top spot, like you think of Bugs and Daffy. So, seeing Coyote and Roadrunner would be really nice, yeah. So, I think, um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, let's give them a chance at least, you know, like, because you and I appreciate Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner, like, they were a great duo back in the day. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. And so, like, uh, you know, they dominated theaters for a while. And then after that, when they came back to TV, like, you know, Roadrunner had his own show, effectively, alongside Ro Bugs Bunny. So, like, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, like, I think, uh, you know, um, let's see how it goes. Like, uh, I'm open to it. So. I'm open to it, too. Cool. All right, then. Let's go over to our next bit of news. So, the Writers Guild of America has passed a strike authorization vote of 97.85% voting giving union leadership the power to call a strike once the contract expires on May 1st. Yep, this again. Yeah, so um, I guess a lot of, I guess production is just going to shut down for a good couple of weeks, I guess. Or maybe even longer than that, depending on how oh, negotiations boy. go. Oh, boy. Do you remember the last time that we had a writer's strike and the disaster that happened? Yeah, I remember that. And, uh, like, you know... That was, over, that was almost 15 years ago. And this was around the time in which there was a lot, and I mean a lot of great shows that were canceled, or there were a lot of shows that needed to be airing that turned out to be awful. Like reality shows became hugely profitable because there was, you don't mean, you don't need to worry about writing for a reality show. That's when they became so abundant. That's why we got things like Toddlers versus Tiaras and Dance Moms and all those other crappy shows. And then, you know, we Shows like Heroes were short-lived because of the writer's strike. And, you know, even like Cartoon Network suffered from this as well with the writer's strike. There were a lot of great projects that they wanted to do, but then the writer's strike happened. So this does not bode well. Yeah, we're going to get a lot of reruns, folks. I think that's what it's looking like at the minute. So Yeah, think... we're going to get a lot of reruns, and we're going to get a lot of crappy stuff on TV. So, yay. Yeah, but... Uh... 
So, uh, I mean, like, well, um, hopefully, you know, the audience, unfortunately, is going to have to, you know, make this clear that, you know, they don't want this strike to go on. So, unfortunately, a lot of... Uh, a lot of off buttons are going to have to go off, I think, on TVs. I think across the across the United States and across the world. I think until you know, finally, you know, Hollywood gets the message. So, I don't understand. I mean, this is something that we talked about last Dave, you year. Know, you, when... you don't you don't understand? Like, you know, this they they, they want to uh, you know, corporate America effectively wants to grind people out of you know as much money as they possibly can while fill, by filling their back pocket effectively like you know everyone understands what the hell's going on and unfortunately people are gonna have to fight to get it you know so i, like... I know but it's like why can't people just take a hint of the importance of like paying people the right amount of money and giving them all the resources and benefits so that they can well, continue babe, to share... work well, what about the shareholders like you know like uh i mean they, they need their yachts and uh, you know they need their golf course memberships. You know, like uh, you know they they, they need like, also like uh, well, how on earth is it gonna, what's going to happen to the Lampertrevis who wants his ten bedroom house that you know he sneaks all his like his nine and a half mistress, mistresses in. You know, while uh, you know while married to three other people. You know, like you know like uh, why why can't you just relate yourself to like you know the, the you know the, the common man, Patricia? You know. <sighs> yeah, so, I know. I feel like an idiot, don't I? Yeah, we're, I mean, like, we're 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 surrounded by greed effectively yeah. like and you know that's that, that's what this is it's greed you know it is it is it is awful by the way yeah i'm just gonna read off what it says right here on the writer's guild contract where it says writers are not keeping up while company profits have remained high and spending on content has grown writers are falling behind the companies have used to transition to streaming to cut writer pay and separating writers from production worsening working conditions for series writers and all levels on tv staffs more writers are working at minimal regardless of experience often for fewer weeks on mini rooms while showrunners are left without a writing staff to complete the season and while series budgets have soared over the past decade Median writing producer pay has fallen. In comedy variety, writers working for streaming services are now the primary platform for entertainment content, lack the most basic protection of MBA minimums. For screenwriters, compensation has stagnated over the past four years. Their pay has often stretched out over many months and can be held hostage by producers' demands for free work, particularly for screenwriters working or near NBA minimum. Their conditions are un. un Untenable. With the rising dominance of streaming, where half the series writers now work, short orders, the separation, writing a production with a lack of a season calendar have depressed writer pay. Um, there's a chart that basically showcases that at every job level, more writers working at MBA minimum more than a decade ago, that 33% of all TV series writers are paid minimum, which back that was back around like over a decade ago. Now, Half of them are working at minimum. Increasing number of seasoned writers, including showrunners, are paid no overskill premium for their years of experience. Yeah, that is definitely not good. In addition to that, median weekly writer production has declined over 4% in the past decade. Adjusting for inflation, the decline is 23%. In addition to failing weekly pay, most writers on streaming shows are earning less per season because of shorter work periods. As the And there's another chart that's there. Uh, there's a new typical employment for lower and mid-level writers on a streaming service is 20 to 24 weeks or only 14 weeks of the room is convened without a series order 
Showrunners, on the other hand, are working almost the same number of weeks in streaming as they do in broadcast, reflecting the true length of time these series have to complete. 40% of showrunners working on streaming services working over 52 weeks of their most recent season. So basically, working every day for a year with almost no breaks. Many upper-level writers, 40% of co-executive producers, executive producers, and showrunners on short-order series are left without span protection because they earn over the MBA threshold. With long production schedules, these writers find their episodic fees little to more than their weekly schedule when stretched over many weeks. Without span protection, their median weekly pay is 50% lower than if it would be their episodic fee would be covering 2.4 weeks of work. Uh, they also uh, earn much less on a weekly basis than their peers on broadcast series. Uh, medium weekly pay for showrunners is 46% lower than showrunners on broadcast shows. So, yeah, everybody's suffering pretty badly on this. And it basically says, in conclusion... The companies have leveraged the streaming transition to underpay writers, creating more precarious, lower-paid models for writers' work. And the 2023 negotiations must significantly address the writer compensation. So, yeah, this is the reason why they're going on strike, people. Yeah. And, uh, again, like, it's all terrible. Like, uh, you know, uh, I really hope they are going to sit down around the negotiation table and, like, you know, hammer something out. Because, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, um, the writers suffer. We suffer because of, you know, everything we said at the beginning of this segment. And, uh, yeah, it just, it's, it's bad news all around for everybody, effectively. So. Yes. This, yeah. this is This is really bad. I mean, not only for us who are, you know, who love our entertainment, but also, you know, for people who are trying to live their normal lives, trying to do things that they love, but are, you know, not being compensated for it. So, yeah, this is, like, bad on so many levels. Yeah. So, um, if you want to give us book recommendations, uh, our email address is... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I need to catch up on my reading, so yeah. I guess this will be the perfect time to do that. It definitely will be, yeah. All right, then. Okay, so our next bit of news. So Netflix is going to be shipping its final DVD on September 29th. And uh, I didn't I mean, realize sure they were still doing this. I didn't know they were still doing this either. I mean, I know that they were... I mean, this is actually how I was first introduced to Netflix. It was back around 2009 where I actually knew a family who rented Netflix on their DVDs. And what they used to do is that every week they would rent, like, maybe one or two movies. And then they would, like, watch it and then they would return it. This was before even the streaming service came out. But... Yeah, I mean, I thought that, you know, it would be, like, you know, kind of, like, done at this point because we already have, like, the, um, you know, the, 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 the you know, the, the streaming service itself. But I didn't know that people actually still did this. Yeah, like, uh, it's just, it's, uh, um, I mean, like, I remember back in the day, like, you know, Netflix, obviously you would, uh, you know, you, you'd ask what movie you want, then you basically get it in the, you know, get it in the mail, and then after you're done with it, you basically you mail it back. So, I mean, obviously that was, uh, but actually that was, that was years ago. Like, you know, I was, I was thinking that, that was going on. Like, uh, after Netflix basically did the streaming service, I thought like, you know, I thought that was it, you know, like, uh, you yeah, know, but I, I, I thought the same thing. Uh, so I'm just going to read off what Netflix has to say about this. After an incredible 25 year run, we decided to wind down DVD.com later this year. Our goal has always been to provide the best service for our members, but as the business continues to shrink, that's going to become increasingly difficult. We want to go on in a high and we'll be shipping our final 
discs on September 29th. These iconic red envelopes changed the way people had watched shows and movies from home, and they paved the way for the shift of streaming. From the beginning, our members loved the choice and control of that direct-to-consumer entertainment offered, the wide variety of titles, and the ability to binge-watch the entire series. DVDs also led to the first foray into our original programming, with red envelope entertainment titles such as Sherry Baby and Zach Galifianakis's Live at the Purple Onion. We feel so privileged to have been able to share movie nights with our DVD members for so long. We're proud of what our employees were able to achieve, and we're excited to continue pleasing entertainment fans for many more decades to come. To everyone who ever added a DVD to their queue or waited by the mailbox for a red envelope to arrive, thank you sincerely, Ted Sarandos. Anyway, and they even put it out on, according to DVD.com, some of the firsts and some of the biggest that they've ever done. The very first DVD that they've ever shipped was Beetlejuice, and that was on March 10th, 1998. Uh, the number of DVDs they've ever shipped was 5.2 billion. The most popular title that they've ever shipped was The Blind Side. The number of supported genres was 20 main genres and 530 subgenres, and they've had over 40 million unique subscribers over the years. Wow. So it's just, it's, so, so it's an end of an era, pretty much, you know, like, if, if it, mind you, given the fact that, you know, Netflix are now pulling out of physical media, effectively, now Disney are going to be going back to it, you know, like, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, like, it seems to be like two companies going in different directions. But uh, the problem yeah. is, is that, you know, with Netflix, I mean, I think the uh, the common problem with Netflix has been that uh, they're very good at getting like, new people, but they're not very good at keeping their old customers, effectively. So, like, yeah. you know, they're, they'll excite everybody with new shows, but then when those new, then when those shows disappear, they'll basically just say, oh, hey, here's all these other new shows. And, like, you know, when people kind of want to see, like, you know, what they've already been kind of accustomed to. And then because they don't get that, they leave. And then the new people stick around. It's so weird. Yeah. But, it is uh, really weird. Yeah. So it's... Uh, I just think that, uh, you know, um, uh, I don't know, like, is this uh, Netflix making a mistake by doing this? Maybe? I, well, mind you, I, given the fact that I'm saying it, it's very surprising that they were still doing it to begin with. You know, maybe probably it isn't. But uh, I think, um, you know, with um, D Disney now going back to physical media uh, at some point in the future, like, uh, I don't know, like, it just, it's, uh, it, it just kind of made me pause the thought and wonder if Netflix are making the right decision here. You know. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked many times about the importance of physical media because, I mean, you, you, just because something is up on a streaming service doesn't mean it's going to stay there forever. Well, that's the Even if, if they it's, stay yeah, yeah, it's a service. Like, you know, like, it's not something that you own. It's like it's a service that's there. It's like a restaurant. You know, like, it's just, it's, so you go in there and, like, you know, you don't own the food that's in the restaurant, do you? Like, you know, you, you you pay for the food and you get a chance to eat the food and then if you keep going in there and paying money, you'll be able to eat the food again until eventually the guy who, the chef, eventually decides to retire and then go off to Greece somewhere and then after that the restaurant closes down, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, so exactly. like, you're, you're, yeah, so that's the same thing with streaming. Like, you know, you're paying for a service, effectively, not that you own it. So that, that's what some people really don't get when he, like, people like, get really angry when stuff disappears off like, streaming. It's like, well, you know, you, you don't own it. Like, you know, you just paid for a service to like, have it there. And like all the pay for the service itself. And now that it's gone, you're basically only left with whatever's left there, you know, that you can get entertained by, effectively. So I mean, yeah, that's what a lot of people don't seem to understand. 
Yeah, and that's why a lot of people are still, even to this day, utilizing physical media, because at least they have it on their hands. Let's just say that you want to watch a movie. Oh, you know, it's no longer on a streaming service. Well, what do you do? How are you going to be able to watch it? Well, I mean, if you own it physically, then you can be able to watch it whenever that you want. But unfortunately, you know, for some people, they feel that, you know, physical media is irrelevant. It's like, we have streaming services now. We don't need that stuff anymore. Well, I mean, sometimes you kind of do because unless you own the physical media if the um, you know if some for some reason that you know companies don't have the rights to air it on a streaming service anymore it's going to be really difficult to find it and the only way you're going to be able to watch it is through pirating exactly and uh, you know like uh, on top of that it's like you know um you know a lot of people like are able to um, you know download games on through the Nintendo Store, effectively. But now that we're seeing all the issues that we're seeing with the Nintendo Store, like people having to like download everything really quickly before they shut down because they'll never see them again, effectively. Like you know, like yeah, that, I mean, that's the no, jeez, Nintendo's like a completely yeah, different story. Yeah, I mean, even still to this day, that you know, if you try to even support the official release, their games are just jacked up to high prices. Yeah, well, you know, that's the um, that's how you know, um, that's how terrible it is. Uh, you know, in, in regards to all of that, like that, that's a, that's a warning. So there's a reason why people like wait around for. You know, remember when Metro Point remastered? Uh, you know, where it got released and they said, "Oh, hey, Nintendo Direct and I got it." But uh, if you want to own it, you know, you can actually own it. You know, uh, as of this uh, as of this day, because it will be available on the Nintendo Store to download. All that you can wait for the physical media to you know come out in February. And uh, a lot of people actually decided to wait, and uh, then there was shortage of like the physical media of the game. I'm really surprised I actually managed to get my copy. You know, after after everything that after uh, yeah, I had to go through I I had to go through four different stores just so that I can be able to find a copy of Metroid Prime Remastered, and it was worth it considering that I actually bought the last copy. So I, I, you know, this stuff is really important. And here's the thing: I mean, I know that we're not mentioning this in the news whatsoever, but um, they're they were just giving reports on like uh, game sales, and Metroid Prime Remastered is in like the 13th best-selling games, which is a rarity considering that, you know, usually Metroid games never crack the top 20. And the reason why is because, well, I mean, you know, it's always been a niche audience, but you know, they've been a lot of promotions of Metroid Prime Remastered on various sites and a lot of social media pages and so a lot of people have been waiting for the physical release so that they can be able to get their hands on it but then the shortage happened because nintendo always underestimates metroid and so then they heard the demand saying we want more copies they released it and then finally um you know we're seeing people talking about metroid again and yeah it's in the top you know 20 it's a number 13 and so i mean they don't count digital sales they count physical sales so it just goes to show you that physical media is still really important mm-hmm. exactly yeah so and here's the thing like what happens if you own something on dvd and it never gets released digitally that's the only way that people even know a show like this exists. Like, let's just say that you have, like, some obscure movie or TV show from your childhood that only you know about, and you happen to own the DVD of it. And you're thinking, okay, well, maybe I'll just sell off this DVD, and maybe eventually it'll be released on streaming. Well, no. that that You just basically gave away the only chance that you're ever going to be able to watch it. That's not a bootleg of a really low-quality version of it. So, yeah, do not underestimate the power of physical media. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, physical media has also brought things that streaming can never bring. So, you know, you have audio commentaries, behind the scenes stuff, interviews, that stuff you never see on streaming. 
Yeah, like all the stuff that you see on Gravity Falls, for example, like all the little tidbits of Alex Hirsch talking about each episode or even with like uh, the Avatar The Last Airbender stuff where you have like, um, you know, Mike and Brian and even the cast and crew talking about like, you know, moments of each episode and, you know, even like if you own Star Trek or if you own Star Wars or any movie where you have like all these like really nice bonus features like, you know, interviews and how they make uh, the, the, the effects and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the only way you could be able to watch it is on physical media. I mean, I could be completely wrong that maybe they don't they, they actually do have that feature in streaming stuff. But I mean, I see only maybe a couple of them and maybe on like Disney Plus where I actually get to see like more detailed behind the scenes stuff. But for the most part, like little things like tiny interviews and stuff like that, I would only see that on like, you know, physical media like DVD and Blu-ray. I don't see that on streaming services. Yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah, again, like, I think you and I and everybody else uh, has told, basically said, you know, said that, like, you know, it's uh, physical media is still important, you know, no matter how many streaming services we end up going to, you know, like, uh, so. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and I even see some people saying, well, I mean, I still get, you know, Netflix on DVD because maybe I only want to watch like maybe one or two movies every week or maybe every month. And um, I want to be able to like choose what I want. I don't want to pay for like a large fee just so I can watch a whole bunch of things that I don't want to. So, yeah, this stuff is still really important for a lot of people. And so the fact that that's going to go away, it's like, oh, now you have to really use our streaming service if you want to be able to continue on with Netflix. That's going to be a problem for some people. Yeah. Um, anyway, by, by so way, yeah. before we continue on with the show, um, actually, something's about to happen in the next couple of minutes, which uh, I think uh, maybe we'll probably should take a little bit of a pause for, and that is that uh, we're going to be taking a test of the UK uh, emergency alert system that's going to be coming out in like in the next minute. So uh, you'll notice that my phone will probably start making a noise in a moment. And uh, so, uh, by the way, um, this is just a test, uh, basically, for this. So uh, while we're waiting for that, I mean, like, uh, you know, because uh, you, you um, in America, you guys have like the emergency test system, don't you? So, yes, we do. Yeah, we have it every week. Every week. So, uh, I mean, like, so what is it? Is it like on like your phones as well, or is it like on like your TV? and stuff or uh... it, 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 we, we have it for both i would say and i usually get messages on like um emergency stuff especially if there's like say maybe a kidnapping or you know like um a police chase that's happening but if i do want to see like an emergency test i either see it on my television or on my radio and i do get like messages on my phone from time to time yeah do you remember when the you know cartoons used to make fun of like the emergency test system and uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the, yeah. Going back to Freakazoid, and we talk about Freakazoid every week. But so you know, like uh, he used to make fun of it all the time. And uh, so, okay. Well, funny enough, I thought that uh, I was about to see an alert, and I thought that was it. But so no, it's just Preston North End tweeting me. So <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the alert. Apparently, we need to talk about uh, uh, Bowers. Uh, you know, great performance uh, uh, last week. So uh, sorry, yesterday. I do apologize. Well. It was, I mean, if you listen to this podcast last week, then yeah, obviously next, next week, then obviously it will be last week. But uh, yeah, so I hope you don't mind, everybody. We're just waiting for this to kind of like happen. And then after that, we can continue on with the show. So yeah. Um, yeah. In addition to that, do you also remember when uh, the um, the surround sound on movies started being more in implemented into theaters and Tiny Toon Adventures, How I Spent My Summer Vacation made a joke about it? The audience had, like, is this... now death. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, like, you know, all I mean, when they started doing that back in the 90s, I think it was in the 90s they actually started doing that now, at that point, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, they became a little bit more self-aware, yeah. Yeah, so like, you know, The Simpsons also made fun of it. I think Tiny Toon's Adventures made fun of it. And, uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, and everyone's made fun of it. Oh, animation yeah. is made fun of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, 
cool. Yeah. Okay then, so uh, right now the emergency test system right now is about one minute late. <laughs> yeah, so uh, apparently, my, I mean, uh, I don't know, like, do I need to download an update for my phone or something? Or like, uh, I was expecting it to kind of go off by now. But, uh, mm. by the way, like, I mean, uh, I might be wrong. Oh, here it is. There it is. There it is. This is a test of the emergency alerts. New government test and uh, will be five threatening emergency nearby. A real emergency will be nearby. Yeah, that's it. So, uh, cool. All right, then. And that was it. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> All right, okay. okay. So. Well, that's a very interesting uh, side, um, you know, track onto the show. Yeah, like, uh, I don't know if they just kind of borrowed, like, the sound effects from, like, you know, the American emergency alert system or whatever, but, uh, I mean, is that what it sounds like in America? Pretty it much? does, yes. Yeah, okay, then. Well, we borrowed it from the U.S., so uh, thanks, guys. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back into our regularly scheduled program. So, according to Cartoon Brew, they just reported that Disney's Strange World is the biggest box office flop of 2022. So this is what it says right here, according to a report from Deadline. The Don Hall-directed film Strange World ran a massive budget of $180 million with a marketing budget of $90 million. Total expenses of the film were $317.4 million. The movie made $73.6 million at the global office and another $55 million from TV and streaming. After a bit of math, Strange World ended up losing Disney $197 million, which was worse than any other animated film well any hollywood film in 2022 live action or animated to make matters worse pixar's lightyear also distributed by parent company disney also made deadlines list of flops losing 106 million dollars for those keeping score disney's last two animated features released lost the company a combined total of 303 million dollars yeah, it's just it's. Uh, I mean, you and I talked about Strange World on In Search of the Crystal Skull, and you, me, and you have talked about Lightyear. Uh, was one of like, the first Pix movies we did actually, actually, where we were like both live in the same studio, uh, effectively. Yes. And so, like, uh, yeah, they were disappointments, uh, like in all in all ways and form. I mean, like, here's the thing about this: like, you know, there was some there were some good ideas here within you know. I mean, I mean, should we start with? Should we start with Strange World? Or should we start with Lightyear first? Let's start with Strange World. So, Strange World, I mean, like, there were some ideas that were there that eventually they could have done, and uh, there were some characters in there that I think that they should have been more implemented a, a lot better, but just weren't, and uh, there was a whole, like, structure that was there, but it was pretty much very dilapidated in the way that it was kind of put together, and so I think it was just, it's, uh, yeah, they are pretty average and pretty mediocre movies, unfortunately. Like, uh, you know, yeah. they, uh, they missed out so badly on some pretty good ideas. Uh, they did. I mean, it was like a lot of spectacle, but unfortunately, story and character wise, it just, yeah, left a lot to be desired. I mean, we, you didn't even call it a tech demo when we first talked about it. Yeah, I like it. Well, no, I think, yeah, you, uh, was it was the Strange World a tech demo? I can't remember if I no, did. No, 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 it wasn't because you were saying, oh, I didn't call it a tech demo because it looks pretty similar to a lot of Disney movies we talked about, like Encanto and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, okay. I see what you're talking about. Yeah, even but, it, it wasn't even. I mean, yeah, actually, I remember now. I was saying, you know, I can't even call it a tech demo because it wasn't even that because it's already based on, like, you know, existing technology that's already existed. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, yeah. So, 
Yeah, so I mean, we can't even call it tech demo like we did with Good Dinosaur, where you know it did like different styles of animation that we hadn't seen at Pixar at that point, but the story and characters were weak. So yeah, I, I mean, there was a lot of things that could have been implemented, like they could have strengthened up the relationships between the three clade men. There could have been like maybe you know more um, interest in the world. There could have been like a motivation that could have like lured us into the story and the whole environmental message thing was kind of like pushed to us at the third act and unexpectedly so yeah there was just a lot of things that just kind of like left it really underdeveloped and weak and I mean, we regards like, to the environmental message i think fern dare i say i think fern golly probably did it better i mean like, <laughs> uh, yeah, i would say once upon a forest did it better <laughs> good grief and that, was, and that was a hanna-barbera movie <laughs> i know exactly like you know it just it was just uh, you know like the, 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 first of all i think you know if there were you know if you ask me like you know remember like uh, i can't even remember the names of the characters that's how you know, uninvested i am in strange world but you know, remember they had like the you know the gay couple that was in there and they left the, they left the the uh well they left the boyfriend at home and took you know the mother or talk like, I think they took other, some other characters that we weren't really all that invested in. Yeah, I mean, they took the mother, they took the mayor, they took, um, you know, some other random people that nobody cares about. And it just was the focus on the clades, which, by the way, we weren't really invested in any of them. I and mean, we thought that, um, you know, um, you know, what was it like Ethan? You know, he, he had the buildings of an interesting character, but the only thing that was notable about him was that he was LGBT and nothing else. He was just a pretty bland character. Yeah. And then Searcher is kind of like, oh, you know, I'm this farmer guy and i don't want to be an adventurer but i'm going to push the same thing that my father pushed into me into him because i think that's what's best and it's like okay he's a bit of a hypocrite and then you have jaeger who's like this adventurer who basically like disappeared for 25 years with no care about his family other than just he wants to go out and explore which kind of makes him into like an awful father and trying to see if you know he can be able to push his ideologies into his full-grown son and the and the grandson he never knew existed so, yeah, we couldn't re we couldn't root for any of these characters. And then there was that blobby character that was trying to be like, oh, little, here's a little cute character that we can sell the toys to. No personality, didn't even have a face to recognize with. So, yeah, there was just a lot of things that were just cobbled together that didn't leave us very impressed. Yeah, it's just it's. Uh, I remember at one point, like you know, uh, the, one of the you know the the, the son. You know, Clay character went to his. Uh, you know, went to um, you know the, the grandfather and said, you know, like you know, mom's gone, and I thought we were gonna have like you know, uh, you remember the mom's gone line, and uh, we thought we were gonna have like an emotional moment. It's like, oh no, she she married the other guy, and moved on. Effect. It was like, oh, oh yeah, that's wow. right. That was one thing that you did not mention in our discussion of Crystal Skull when we heard the news from Searcher that you know, a mom, you know, she was waiting for you for all this time, and then we're like, oh wow, is she dead? Did she wait for him for so long that you know she passed away with a broken heart? It's like, oh no, she just married with somebody else. It's like, oh really? Yeah, it's just, you know, one time we could have, a, you know, count, you know, most Disney movies. At least they give you like some kind of emotional moment to kind of like go on, and in this one, they decided not to. Do they decided just to not do it you know basically it's like yeah it's, like i mean even it's, in recent it's family, disney it's, movies it's family feud the movie effectively like you know it's just Ugh, a, uh. god in recent disney movies i actually felt a you know a bit of a twinge in my heart when watching it frozen 2 ryan the last dragon encanto this movie on the other hand i didn't feel and i even mentioned this in the crystal skull episode that disney is at their revival era this is at the point in which that ever since Tangled, and I know some people say uh, Presence of the Frog started it, but I digress. But 
ever since Tangled came out, it was, um, you know, it basically just brought in the new revival era of Disney, where they were able to focus on going back into basics, having musicals and having 3D animation and focusing on the storytelling and the characters. And a lot of people really gravitated to them. That's how we got Frozen, Wreck-It Ralph, Big Hero 6, and, um, you know, Zootopia, even recently with films such as Moana, Encanto, Brian the Last Dragon. I mean, those movies, a lot of people really loved it made millions at the box office and people are still talking about them this movie is the first in over a decade that it became a massive flop and people are either forgetting about it or people don't even like it i haven't seen this kind of vitriol of a disney movie since well you know home on the range and chicken little yeah but uh unfortunately you know uh, within you know um out of touch political land and apparently strange world apparently it's controversial because it has lgbtq you know uh, representation there not the fact that yeah. it's just a mediocre movie not anything that we've just talked about before apparently that's the problem with disney which you know is uh if you think that then quite frankly your brain is broken i'm sorry uh, anyway, uh, according to what it says right here on the uh, the article, um, that one of the reasons why the film underperformed was actually because of its LGBTQ representation. It said, The film generated almost no buzz going into this theatrical debut, which was marred by controversy, and at least 15 countries refused to allow the film to screen due to the presence of a same-sex relationship, which we did talk about in Aaron and Patricia, by the way. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, and also the whole, oh, there was no marketing towards it, and, you know, people weren't even talking about it until after the film came out. I mean, yeah, we, we've already gone over that stuff. So if you want to hear more of it, go listen to our Crystal Skull episode. But, yeah, the fact that this movie just left so many people disappointed, and then it became a flop. This is, like, a major shakeup that Disney's really going to have to sit by the drawing board and decide what they're going to do, be doing next. Yeah. All right. All right, so going into Lightyear this time. Oh, goody! <laughs> we had a lot to say about Lightyear, especially a... since this was the movie that we actually saw together physically in theaters. Uh, and we I mean, were, we, we won't like... we, we won't do picks mix again, but I mean, like, I'll just safely say this, but you know, we just it was you know, I, I will tell the story again ha happily, which is that you know, you and I uh, were in the theater, and then you went to the bathroom, and then um, when Jurassic World Dominion finished in the neighboring theater, like all these streams of kids came out and I just looked at them all thinking these are kids that should be going to see Lightyear and then you and I walked into the Lightyear theater and there was like eight people there and all of them were hardcore you know Pixar fans effectively exactly yeah, yeah, eight people, and there were full-grown adults. No children went to go see Lightyear. Yeah, and uh, we all walked out, and we were all disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we were like, oh, maybe that's why nobody went to go see this movie. Okay. Yeah, but, you know, the Disney need to learn effectively like you know they can't just keep putting movies out like this and uh, you know it kind of makes me wonder like did they just kind of just slap Lightyear onto this thing and just think oh yeah people are going to go see it because it's you know it's somewhat related to Toy Story when in actual fact it's not you know it's just it's uh, mm -hmm. yeah it's like it's just you know I still argue like Lightyear should have been like you know the cheesy 90s sci-fi movie effectively like you know with, with all like the sci-fi tropes 
Like, you know, like the, you know, the Darth Vader character, like, you know, the, uh, the mysterious, like, alien that, like, you know, teaches, like, the ways of, like, you know, what isn't the, you know, is their version of the Force. Like, you know, we're all, like, you know, the, uh, the, like, the Borg kind of, like, you know, rip-off characters and everything like that. They should have taken a look at Star Wars, Star Trek, they should have looked at, like, you know, uh, you know, all, like, the sci-fi, you know, shows and movies of the 90s, and they should have just cobbled them all together and, like, you know, just, like, you know, done that with Lightyear. And made it look like, oh yeah, this would have been Andy's favorite movie because it has like all the best of like all the sci-fi movies and all the sci-fi tropes, effectively. But they did none of that, none of it. No, they didn't do any of it. Unfortunately, I mean, they just gave us a generic story, and they gave us a plot twist that didn't make any sense, and it left so little to be desired. I mean. We we we've both decided that you know it was definitely like the weakest year for Disney in a very very long time, and DreamWorks actually picked itself up in 2022 because they gave us both the bad guys and they gave us Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. So yeah, I mean it was a kind of like a major year for DreamWorks, if anything. And then it could still course, be. Had- I mean, like we got to Teenage Kraken still to come out yet. And, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, we have uh, Teenage Kraken and we have Trolls 3. <laughs> well, less we stick with Trolls, the better. But I mean, like, uh, you know, uh, the fact they got Teenage Kraken coming out, which is like, you know, saying that mermaids are evil. And then you've got like, you know, a, re- an action, a live action remake of The Little Mermaid coming out, which is, uh, you know, no one's really looking forward to all that much. It's like, yeah, come on. Yeah. Yeah, dr- dr- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mind you, we'll say that now, and then we'll turn around and say, "Oh wow, like a Little Mermaid, you know, live action remake actually wasn't so wasn't so bad." And DreamWorks made a shit show out of like their uh, <laughs> their, their anti Disney stance. <laughs> so you know, like uh, yeah, that could potentially be coming too. You know, salt law. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. I mean, to be fair, you know, we'll have to like watch it around June to find out how that turns out, and then. You know, the little the live action Little Mermaid movie will be coming out on May twenty sixth, which by the way, I'll be in Momocon when that happens. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I, I won't be watching it. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, I, I mean, I would say that um, we both gave it. Well, I mean, you gave you gave both Lightyear and Strange World a six, and um, then I gave Strange World a five, and then I gave Lightyear a six, mostly because I personally felt really disappointed about that. You know, I just felt like very let down about the presentation that. Um, uh, strange world was able to give with its characters and its storyline i just felt it was slightly worse i mean i even said it in that crystal skull episode out of all the movies that came out in disney over the past decade with the revival era it is hands down the worst disney movie that they've released in recent years mm-hmm. i mean even some sure some people may say you know ralph breaks the internet was worse or even ryan the last dragon was worse i've seen both of those movies and i can say confidently strange world was worse than both of them i'm sorry will we say that strange world was worse than the buck cauldron uh, no, 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 absolutely not. Because Clyde Cauldron, oh boy, that has, it's, f- it's full of problems behind the scenes and with the final product. As somebody who saw Black Cauldron, well, let me see, when did I see that movie? I think it was like last year or a year and a half ago when I did the Disney Silver era, no, the Disney Bronze era with Chris. And um, that movie was riddled with problems. By the first 30 minutes, I was annoyed. 45 to 50 minutes in, I was bored. And there were just so many characters that I was like, just kill me now. But at least with the Black Cauldron, you had the Horn King. And he was awesome. He was a 
definite highlight and the some of the moments where it did look really dark and really serious like it it was like one of the few inklings that like kept me from watching it well as for strange world i was just kind of bored with it so no it's it's <laughs> i would say that strange world i would say kind of like amps it up slightly for being kind of bad for being boring but as for bad for and, and also kind of bad slightly for being frustrating too so I don't know. I mean, that's a bit of a debate that I have to look back on, to be quite honest. But I kind of say that Strange World, I mean, I would say it's kind of boring because they played a little bit safe. At least with Black Cauldron, it was ambitious. And I can blame Jeffrey Katzenberg for messing around with the story and cutting back and then adding some things into it. The production history of it is a mess. I would highly recommend you look it up. But yeah, I mean, I can understand why Black Cauldron turned out to be the dumpster fire that it is. Strange World? I have no idea why. It had no excuse at this point, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but yeah, that's the story about how two Disney movies that came out in 2022 became the biggest box office bombs of their respected year. Yeah, oh, it's boy. just, and uh, they really need to shape up, I think, uh, unless they're going to get le left in the dust, which, you know, would not be a good place for yeah. Disney to be. Yeah, I mean, considering that Disney didn't even win a lot of acclimates of 2022, I mean, it was overtaken by Pinocchio. Hmm. so yeah i mean i i and also the fact that dreamworks also got a lot of people talking you know with um both the bad guys and with puss in boots the last wish so yeah i mean disney you gotta um hopefully i'm, I'm hope you know hopefully we'll see if a uh, wish becomes like really really good for this year and as for Pixar, let's see how Elemental works out. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about Wish because like uh, I have my own idea of like you know well, what happens on Wish Upon a Star, but uh, I mean like uh, I'll I'll see what they go with come up with first. So, all right then. So, yep, that's all we have to say about it for now. Let's go over to our next bit of news. So, a spin-off film of Knuckles the Echidna will be in production for Paramount Plus later this year. Jeff Fowler, who was the director of the first two Sonic the Hedgehog movies, posted up a little teaser of um, this on his Twitter account. So, uh, yeah, we don't know anything about it as far as just that information, so that we could only just leave it for speculation. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, I mean, it's interesting what's, I mean, obviously the Knuckles story that we're going to get, I think obviously is going to tie him with, like, you know, the Sonic the Hedgehog, like, you know, cinematic universe, effectively. So, uh, yeah, so it's going to be based on that. I highly doubt they're going to go with, like, any of the, like, you know, the, uh, you know, the video game adaptations or the Sonic Adventure adaptations, I probably would imagine, of like, Knuckles. So, I think it's, um, I think, I think it's safely to say, it looks like it's going to be going in that direction from what I can see. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. Yeah, or, or, I mean, I, I, I doubt that it's even going to go into the Knuckles Chaotix direction either. Um, before, I don't think, yeah, definitely not. I think they've already established a story with the movies, and uh, the characters that we've seen in the movies are basically going to be, you know, what we're going to see in every spin-off, I'd probably imagine, unless they do something serious. Unless they do something like, you know, like they're doing with, uh, is it Sonic Prime, I think, so the uh, the one for Netflix? I think yes, that, yes, that's it is. Unless there's something like you know, you know, adjacent to the the movies, I think uh, I think we should just expect that the knuckles we're going to get is going to be the same knuckles that we're going to see like in the movies. I imagine. 
Yeah. So I'm just going to read off what Variety has to say about this. So Idris Elba will be reprising his role as Knuckles. And um, right now, as far as a story, there's like a brief synopsis about him teaming up with Wade. But other than that, there's not really much of a detailed um, plot synopsis. And we do get some people who will be in the movie, such as um, Eddie Patterson, Julian Barrett, Scott Mascuti, Ellie Taylor... Uh, Rory McCann and Tika Sumpter but uh, as for anybody else still haven't heard anything at the moment so yeah I mean it says right here that um, Sonic 3 will be released in December 20th 2024 but as for when Knuckles will be coming out on Paramount Plus that is still to be determined cool all right so we will definitely be looking forward to it all right, so um, we're going to go into unfortunate news. So uh, James Carter Cathcart, uh, who you may know for a lot of things, he was uh, the voice of Professor Oak, James, and Meowth uh, during the um, TCPI versions of the Pokemon dub. Uh, he is going to be retiring due to being diagnosed with cancer. So for those who don't know, uh, he was a major part of the voice cast, the writing cast, and even with music music during his tenor of um, Pokemon. He's been doing it ever since um, 2008-2009 when they switched over from the original um, you know, dub over to the current dub that we're seeing right now. He's been doing this stuff for over 25 years now. And so he unfortunately is struck with cancer and it was even confirmed by his wife that it is starting to spread around his tongue and into his neck. And he's getting extremely aggressive chemotherapy treatments to stop the cancer. This is really scary considering that if you remember like almost like, a, you know, like last year or two years ago, we talked about the same thing in which when um, Christopher Ayers, who was the voice of Frieza, he was going through his struck with cancer as well. And, you know, he couldn't reprise his anime roles. And so, you know, there was like this huge Kickstarter campaign to raise money for his health um, bills and stuff like that. And he was doing really well until unfortunately he passed away, too. So I'm. I'm fearing that, you know, this will probably be going into the same situation. Well, I mean, like, I, in a second, unless, you know, obviously, you know, his cancer diagnosis is obviously very sad. And so um, we wish him all the best, effectively, you know, uh, James uh, Kafka. I really hope he does yeah. you know, pull through. And so, uh, I mean, um, he's always going to, I mean, his thing, like, you know, I know a lot of people are going to be very sad that he's going to be retiring, but, you know, cancer is no joke. And so, um, you know, he's obviously going to take time out. He's going to try and get some uh, chemotherapy and uh, he's going to uh, try and get better. And uh, who knows? He's like, you know, he might. I'm hoping he goes into remission. I really hope he does. And so, I do uh, too. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and tell me, you know, he's uh, as Professor Rogue, and also he's done, you know, a massive amount of contribution already to the Pokemon franchise. And uh, I mean, obviously, you know, Ash now is out of the picture, and so we don't know what the future of, you know, Professor Oak was going to be, I think, at that point in regards to, like, you know, the Pokemon series, like whether he would have continued, you know, uh, way uh, after the, you know, the Ash and also the Team Rocket story. I'm not entirely sure, but. Uh, I mean, it's. Um, I really hope he does come back at some point and makes a cameo and you know says that oh hey I'm doing well. So, but uh, you know, we, we, yeah, we, we, or maybe he can play as a new character. I mean, who knows? Yeah, but uh, at the moment, I think you know, um, obviously, all that's pie in the sky. But uh, at the minute, let's uh, wish him that he's going to get really well, and uh, we hope that you know all his treatment goes well. So, yeah, yeah, I, I'm hoping so too. So. 
yeah, I, I pray that he, you know, recovers, that the cancer is in remission. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, if whatever that goes on, that he, you know, goes on with it in a, an, in an easy way, because, you know, getting, you know, chemotherapy treatment is no joke. Seriously, it is literally no joke. It is painful. It is crucial. It, it is really this grueling and just, just awful, just it, it really does leave an effect on you. So I'm hoping that, you know, things turn out well for him at the end. Yeah, I hope so, too. Yeah. All right. And finally, we're going to go into our last bit of news right before we go into spoiler section. So a hacker has to pay Nintendo 20 to 30% of his salary for the rest of his life after he was released from prison. I'm surprised and, this is and, legal, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like, you know, like, so like, the rest of his life? Effectively, like, yeah, there's no the rest of his life. So, there's no like, what I understand is that usually with these types of suits, like, you know, the Alex Jones suit that we have with the Sandy Hook families and everything like that. So, like, you know, how he's in the uh, in the basically, well, Envo was effectively in the hole for us, Rishi's Pistons, whatever you want to call it, he's now in the hole for like a billion dollars, effectively, in regards to that. And it also could get pretty much worse than that as well. So, I mean, uh, the one thing that you know, usually in these types of law, in these types of law, you know, uh, suits is that they uh, would then look at like, you know, the assets of like, you know what these these people have and everything like that, like you know how much they would want to you know basically get out of in order to basically you know retrieve some of that money uh, from 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 the you know the, from from obviously the defending party. So I mean I don't know like in the in the original lawsuit they actually put like a number of like how much damage you know um, this hacker basically did to Nintendo you know in regards to like you know the amount of money that they were gonna like you know lose out of like whatever he did and things like that. So I think. Uh, you know, um, is it based on the fact that he's going to be paying this amount of money because that's the amount of money that basically was in the uh, in the lawsuit itself? Or like, uh, you know, like, uh, I mean, well, I, again, I, I'm not really following the story, so I don't really know. But, I, uh, I have the story right here, so I'm just going to read it off. Go for it. So it says, yeah, it says right here, Nintendo hacker Gary Bowser, <laughs> what a name, has been released from prison after 40 months, but must pay the company 25 to 30 percent of his income for the rest of his life after operating hacking website Max Console. Uh, Team Executor originally created mod chips and hacking tools for various consoles. They're also the masterminds behind the Nintendo Switch custom firmware SX. OS, which allowed users to play pirated games. In 2020, the release of SXOS and Switch mod chips come uh, caused some ire at the House of Mario. The chips were sold by Team Executor and published and promoted their products on websites such as Max Console, where you can buy the mod chips. In 2020, um, who, uh, Gary Bowser was extradited into the U.S. following his arrest into the Dominican Republic. He was willif uh, he willfully participated in a cyber criminal enterprise that hacked leading game consoles and that developed, manufactured, marketed, and sold a variety of circumvention devices devices that allowed the enterprise's com customers to play pirated versions of copyright games. He was incarcerated in the, the Federal Detection Center in Seattle, but was released early, citing good behavior. And uh, now he is forced to pay about 25 to 30% of his gross monthly income to Nintendo, uh, which is $14.5 million of damage to his name. So far, less than 200 of the total $14.5 million has been paid off. It is likely that he will never pay the full charges in his lifetime. So, so what, was the, what was the figure again? $14.5 million. $14.5 million. Wow. So uh, he would need to win the lottery, you know, basically to pay off all, all of that. Wow. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so like, uh, well, I mean, like, uh, if that's the settlement and he has to pay that somehow, I mean, that's yeah, that's what he's in, that's what he's in the hole for. 
of Isaac. I mean, yeah, I mean, he was selling mod chips to be implemented into consoles to play pirated games. He did something that was like more than 500 flavors of illegal. Yeah. So that's, that's, I mean, here's the thing, like people haven't read this um, uh, article and they're actually trying to defend him. So it's like, no, he actually did something that was bad. So yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, sure, the, the 14.5 million sounds like a lot, but I mean, he did something that was illegal to begin with. It's not like, oh, you know, he just made some modded video game and he decided to sell it on the internet for free for people to download and then you got to cease and desist and then you know he has to pay a, a, a fee or something like that no 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 this is nothing like that he actually you know sold mod chips on his website for people to buy and probably made a lot of money from you know people to pirate things that you know ordinarily they would you know get money from and then nintendo was like oh no we're not getting that and so yeah they pretty much you know punished him fairly but you know maybe the i don't know 14 point file seems like a lot but i mean yeah. it is punishment that's warranted well if that's the amount of damage that he's done to the industry in regards to like all these mod chips then unfortunately that's the that, that's it you know yeah so exactly oh so yeah i mean that's what you get for pirating people i mean you know if, especially if you're trying to sell it now if, now if you're one of those people who are trying to like archive a video game that hasn't been sold you know in a very long time and the only way you can be able to buy it is like one copy of it on the atari 2600 and they never re-released it and you want to be able to have people play it for free i mean that's one thing but you know selling a, even, a even modded that's, chip, that's, that's still illegal because obviously it's I know um, that it's still illegal yes but at least you're not making money off of it well i mean like it's i mean even then like uh, i mean the uh, the company could argue that you're basically still doing damage to their intellectual property by you know obviously you know you're trying to release something for free uh, and doing yeah, that but, i mean, mean that's, that's a whole debate in itself about like you know your games that are available online that you pirate i mean is it good for the industry or is it bad for the industry that is a long debate that i we have no time for but yeah you know yeah that's i mean you know having it for free is one thing selling it is a completely different story and it should never be done yeah exactly so uh, anyway uh, i think we've got some uh, spoilers to get into i think uh, now so, yes but... we do so thank you so much for for listening to us uh, ramble on for over two hours. So if you are not interested in tuning into our spoiler discussion of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur Episode 7, then we will see you next week. See you later, everyone. Bye-bye. Going once, going twice, going three times, and we are officially in spoiler section for Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur Episode 7. Uh, good night, uh, Moon Girl. So, uh, um, by the way, I mean, like, uh, so this episode is uh, quite, this is a great thing about uh, Lunella in this show is that, and dare I say, I'm actually getting to the point where I will say this and it's going to be quite controversial. I think she's a better character than Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory. I really do. <laughs> like, you know, I'm sure some 90s kids are going to hate me for that. But, I mean, it's true. Like, uh, you know, this isn't like... She, she's, like, one of the most intelligent, um, you know, characters in the Marvel Universe. But at the same time, like, we get to see her flaws as well. And, like, uh, this is one of her flaws of, like, you know, feeling very, you know, uncomfortable about making new friends uh, in this. And so, basically, what this thing is that uh, the uh, volleyball team that, uh, you know, is in the school who are, like, really popular girls, or, you know, obviously, you know, one that identifies as they, them, uh, they're, you know, they're popular, you know, team in the school, and they go up to uh, uh, Lunella and Casey, and they invite them to uh, their slumber party. 
And so uh, she, you know, obviously the, you know, uh, Casey is happy to more than happy to accept, but Lunella is, um, you know, not very comfortable because one, she's not very good at making friends, and two, she's never made it for a slumber party. Uh, effectively, yeah, so. and it makes a lot of sense considering that Moon Girl is, you know, pretty much taking over her life uh, in uh, more ways than one. Kind of like how Peter Parker was overtaken with, you know, his responsibilities as Spider Man. So, you know, she hadn't really had the opportunity to do it recently, and I'm sure, like all the way back, she hadn't had the opportunity to do a lot of sleepovers because she didn't have enough friends to be invited to sleepovers because they just saw her as this genius that pretty much overwhelmed her. And so, her having the opportunity to be invited over to a sleepover and getting the chance of trying to see about like oh you know are you know how, how are they thinking about me and she so she does this mind reading device and so um that kind of turns into a disaster because it switches minds with devil and then that just goes into complete chaos <laughs> yeah and the worst thing also that she did is that she built it into the tv remote <laughs> so yeah uh, that's also a really interesting thing happening going in between with her what her family is watching and what devil is going through and what new Lunella's going through that that is an entire mess in itself yeah and so actually we get two songs in this as well like uh, we get uh, one of the songs which is uh, you know based on you know the fact that there's uh, the, the transition going on and also we get the fight we get the fight song as well when uh, the little brother obviously you know uh, uh you know starts going into brat mode uh, as he does so uh, funny enough, yeah. like you know he's like uh, he's pretty much the he's not he's not like the villain of the story but you know like uh, he definitely does you know I mean I think they decided like, in this episode like you know we need villains uh, in this and so this time it's not like some kind of super powered like you know uh, you know crazy villain or anything like that like it's you know, it's it's the younger brother like the uh, person who's leading the sleepover like, yeah. Uh, Exactly. So it's it's not like in last week's episode where we talked about the Beyonder. No, it's just like just some regular kid who just steals the remote and getting revenge for essentially having his night ruined by the sleepover. So that's a bit of a downer when you really think about like when we got the Beyonder as like a villain. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but, I guess that's true. Yeah, but anyway, that's he's not the main you know focus on all of this. The main focus no. of this is obviously going to be you know obviously the sleepover itself. Waging a war. We imagine, like, uh, from at least in uh, Lunella's case, is a bit of a disaster because obviously, you know, uh, the, her family's messing around with the remote control that she left at the house, and uh, they constantly keep switching brains between, you know, Dino Devil Dinosaur and Moon Girl. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so. which is actually pretty funny, considering that, you know, you have, you know, Lunella being normal, and then she goes completely feral in, like, an instant, and so there's a lot of, like, funny moments that happen in the sleepover. Yeah, which funny enough, like, you know, the uh, the, the moment actually, uh, you know, conveniently fits, like, you know, whatever they're doing, so, like, uh, Devil Dinosaur is actually really enjoying being Lunella, and actually doing, like, all the party games and stuff like that, and even, like, you know, <laughs> doing, you know, like, uh, yeah, that, all that, that montage was hilarious. Like, I, I it is really that. hilarious, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it has a really, really important lesson where Lunella learns about, you know, just be yourself, you know, just because you're a little bit strange, it doesn't mean that um, nobody's going to be thinking you otherwise. And so, you you know, she didn't have to worry about, like, creating a device to read people's minds about what they thought of her. She just needed to just be herself and just have a fun time with a sleepover. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think the, um, I mean, also, I mean... You know, um, I mean, you know from the get-go what the lesson was going to be the minute she built that remote control, <laughs> effectively. 
like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But, you know, like, she, she got that. The one thing I think that was really cool in the episode is that, you know, she opened up about, like, you know, her insecurities with, like, you know, with all the people at the slumber party. But I, I don't know, like, you know, she kind of got, if we'd had some, like, you know, um, previous encounters with the volleyball team, I probably would have said, oh, yeah, well, they're kind of building up for, like, you know, saying that Lunella, they think that she's cool. But, I don't know, it kind of comes, the way that they kind of, like, you know, evolve this story, you know, throughout one episode, it feels, I don't know, it feels a bit kind of rushed, really, in my opinion. Maybe you can probably say I'm wrong on this, but, uh, I mean, like, they kind of, like, go from, like, oh, well, you know, it's someone that they know is kind of cool, and uh, maybe they've had some previous encounters with them. I don't know, it's not been, inv- it's not been like, made made a part of the show. But, uh, you know, when Lunella opens up, they kind of just say, oh, yeah, well, you know, we like you, Lunella, because of who you are. Like, you know, you're really intelligent, and, uh, you know, you, you, you're, you know, we really appreciate for that. And then they go around, like, all like all the nerdy stuff that they all like. You know, like, uh, one person's, like, really into, like, you know, cre- creepy circus <laughs> equipment. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, have you ever been to a sleepover when you were a kid, Aaron? Um, Only with, like, one or two friends, but, like, you know, we just play video games and fellas sleep you know like yeah uh, well i mean it's it, i guess it's a little bit different between a girl's slumber party uh sleepover i, I was gonna say i think your slumber parties probably had far more going on than i think you know some of the slumber parties that i've been to so yeah I, you know granted i've never been to a slumber party because i had no friends but from what i've experienced from my sister who went to a lot of them um you know she would tell me about like you know they would like gather together do truth or dare and you know talk about like um you know their favorite boy bands and you know share secrets with one another that nobody would ever expect to there's also like uh, reading through girl magazines and listening to a lot of music and watching movies and stuff like that and also th- there seemed to be like the sense of like you know trying to act cool i mean depending on which house you were at you know it's like you know which house had the better snacks which house had the um, you know the the cooler room with all the neat decorations of of like all the hot kids uh you know boy bands and celebrities that were plastered all over to the wall and you know oh you you had this movie on vhs awesome we're gonna go watch it and we're gonna have um, you know pizza and soda and stuff like that so i guess um especially if you were a girl and you you know were surrounded by other girls that you didn't know of and you wanted to leave a good impression it can be pretty daunting i'll say that and i'm sure that um lunella who's just basically like this nerdy girl who didn't really have a lot of or maybe no friends until she met up with casey you know she was like really scared about like how her approach were you know were to be and so you know there's always this stigma about like you have to present yourself in a specific way otherwise you'll be seen as uncool and so the fact that she just needed to be herself and, and everybody was like geeking around and she was like oh i just needed to be like myself the entire time it's like we have this stigma of like you know we feel like we have to be something else in order for us to fit in when in reality you just do whatever that you feel comfortable with and people will think that you're cool because of that it's like as told by ginger all over again (laughs) i keep bringing this up every single time but yeah they had an episode like this called sleep on it it was the sleepover episode where ginger was essentially like helping with the sleepover because courtney had never thrown one before and uh, basically like they were showing off like oh you do this and you do that and you have that wonderful scene in which when uh, hoodsy pees on the carpet and you know ginger has to defend him and tells courtney you know he's just a kid you know he had too much to drink and everybody goes through that at some point there's an amazing episode on arthur that goes into the um, the struggles of a sleepover where jenna you know she was afraid of being invited over to sleepovers because you know she has a bedwetting problem and she didn't want anybody to know about it because she was embarrassed and i mean that you know, was a 
common had... trope in some of like you know the episodes where they have like the sleepover episode. Like you know, it's like oh, I'm afraid of wetting the bed. Like you know, like yeah, uh... I'm afraid of wetting the bed. I'm afraid of making a fool out of myself. I'm afraid of the other girls not thinking of me as cool. I mean, it is a pretty you know common thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I-, I think it's pretty relatable, and I think that for a lot of people. Um, you know, they would definitely gravitate towards it, especially if, um, you know, they are kind of like similar to Lanella being like really smart and kind of like a little awkward and being um, going into this experience that she's never been in before. So I can definitely relate to this. And, and and I'm sure that some people are actually pointing in the comments. Wait a minute. You're talking about episode 10. What about episode seven, which is Moon Girl's uh, day off? Well, here's the thing. This episode takes place before Moon Girl's day off. So we'll be talking about that next time. Yeah, well, basically what we're doing is we're doing what we're going to do with like, you know, Monsters of work we're just going to go one one you know one after the other until we finally get to like you know the last episode and uh, exactly. by the way um everyone who keeps messaging me about molly mcgee uh, let me just safely say this if the season the sec i've watched like the premiere on youtube but the second season of moog of, of ghost of molly mcgee is not out on disney plus yet so i've not seen like any of like the other episodes about this and uh, i mean so please stop sending me like spoilers for like you know uh, for saying oh what do you think of this scene what do you think of that scene I've not watched it yet, so I can't tell you. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So j- just to, just to wrap up with that, in case people are asking about me and my opinions on Molly McGee, because I've talked about it in the past, and also we'll be talking about it, you know, uh, later on. Uh, also, in uh, I'll be talking about a little bit about it on uh, the Isle House podcast that was kind of coming up uh, later on this week. So yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. Well, that wraps up our discussion of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And uh, we will be back next week for more Aaron and Patricia. So take care, everyone. Enjoy your week, everybody. Bye-bye.